up, people? Welcome to Wrestle Update. I'm your host, Dylan Fox. And as always, I'm joined by Nello de Angelis. And we are back to talk about Survivor Series. We've had a lot of AEW episodes lately. We're going to have some more AEW at the end of the show, too, talking about the Continental Classic matches. We're still keeping up with the tournament. We promised you we would. Well, we didn't promise, but we said we would, and we're going to do it. We are going to tell you the truth. And how does it feel to be as a no- be known as a true truth teller, Nello? Me? Um, good, I guess. If that's what people are saying about me, I'll take it. Um, it's good to be back. I feel like we're... It, you know, last month was very busy, and it's fun to be in a little stride again, a little series of shows with – it's wild that Full Gear last week feels like a year ago. But yeah, Full Gear, Continental Classics, so a lot of fun stuff lately. I'm, I'm excited to chop it up again. Russell Update coming in hot and heavy. We had Full Gear last week, did a show on the tournament. Now hitting you with Survivor Series, you get a little bit of everything here. We are updating uh, truly, uh, everything going on in the world of wrestling, no matter how much comes across our plates, we will fulfill it for ourselves as well as the people. Of course, this show, Survivor Series, that we're going to talk about, took place from the Allstate Arena in Rosemont, Illinois. Not Chicago, but close enough, I suppose. Um, there were They announced this, too, and I got to say, I was pretty surprised. Uh, they announced it as 17,108 fans, which sounds like a legit number. And for a company yep. that's always known as inflating everything, I thought that was really weird uh, going in there. And we have some notes, uh, but we are going to start off. I think, uh, to be honest, when you look at this show coming in, and I'll, I'll just ask you real quick before we get through it. What was your hype factor going into the show? What do you think, more accurately, what do you think about War Games as a concept? Does that mean anything to you, or does that inspire any kind of, like, oh, shit, War Games is coming up. This is going to be awesome. Or are you like, oh, man, War Games, WWE sucks at these. So, or, like, what, what's your opinion on War Games as a match type and concept? Not great. Um, we touched on this a little bit when you and I talked about the GCW War Games weekend. And, you know, it's just, okay, it's a format, right? It's a very hard, like, template to nail. The whole, the match doesn't start until everyone is in the ring, etc. And, like, for me, I was first introduced to War Games when NXT did it. And it was almost like it was always talked about, you know, like I was God, I was in my how old was I then? I'm trying to think. OK, no. So <laughs> I was in like my early 20s. But you hear like two cages or like, you know, two rings, one cage, all this stuff. And it was like one of those really crazy, almost like um, just like things you hear about. Right. And then like when you you watch the old ones or whatever, it's like, OK, but then. When they brought it back, it was like this weird nostalgia trip where it was like, oh, this is so cool. And then you saw a couple. And then I feel like once you see a couple, you've really seen them. Like, I do not get very excited for War Games matches. Um, I am a very, very big fan of five on five elimination matches, though. I feel like there's something with the elimination match, especially when you can like. You know, I always go back to the Survivor Series where it was what uh, the one where Angle turns, right? 
I oh, think yeah. at the end. And like that's one of my favorites ever because they really put the top five or top ten people in the company that was the invasion, on these that was teams. WCW WWF two thousand one. Yeah, and like I feel like you can tell amazing stories in that and war games, blood and guts as well. It always falls prey to where it's like one group versus the like an evil group versus the good guys, pretty much, right? Like, you know, I think for what three years in a row is like a group of like NXT baby faces fighting undisputed elite, right? Um, last year it was Bloodline, this year it's Judgment Day. Uh, and I just, I don't know. I feel like it's very basic. Whereas with that five on five, you get no real factions, right? It's really just five people who are like, we got to win this. I don't know. It's just, that's so much more fascinating to me, primarily from a storytelling standpoint. Um, these matches feel very on rails, you know, like every person has to come in, they're going to get their, you know, you know hot tag spot for lack of a better word i guess yeah that's basically what it is yeah yeah and i was you know we'll talk about it the men's one but like it's it's very rinse and repeat and i think that having two of them on this show it always like de facto makes the first one better to me um just because i get burnt out um like, I don't know. They don't approach this like this match tip like it's a light tube. There's many ways to hold a light tube, but they really just go at war games from like the same uh, perspective each time. Like, again, even in the women's one, it was damage control versus the random group of baby faces. Right. Like, it's always the same shit. I think that this pay-per-view really could benefit from having one war games and one classic Survivor Series match. I think that would be so smart if they did it that way. Uh, honestly, and you could do it. You could have the women in the war games and the men at the Survivor Series match if you wanted. It doesn't yeah. have to be so streamlined where it's always the men in the war games. <laughs> but doing it where one is the Survivor Series match and the other is in the war games would help both matches because there were a few years before they had the war game stipulation, there was like two, three, four Survivor Series matches on the same show. And that was lame. Like that didn't really work at all. One of my favorite of the the like original Survivor Series style elimination matches was the original Raw versus SmackDown feud uh, in 2005, where they had everybody uniting uh, for the brand. It was the first time the brand split still meant something uh, back then, and you had two completely different sets of teams uh, that were way different. You had a great feud building up to that. Uh, you did a lot of great TV, and with this show i think they put in good effort with the judgment day match at least in terms of the build-up but the women's match was literally like the last week like the like the night before like the smackdown before this was them finally trying to add a bit of story with becky and charlotte will they or won't they which again is a storyline we've seen a million times uh, of you know partners who can't get along or whatever so the the stakes were very not important in my opinion, like of either match really, but the judgment day one did have a little bit. And I think they went kind of cheesy with it. I will talk about how it paid off on this show, but I definitely think the storyline of will Orton show up. I didn't think that was very well done or, or very interesting more and more accurately overall. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. If they had just done the 
one match Survivor Series, one match War Games style, I'd be all for it. But they've definitely come a long way from the original War Games, which some of them were classic, some of them were kind of lame, uh, and some of them were great matches. But regardless, the show started off right away with a War Games match. Uh, the women's match, like you said, was damage control versus a you know, random assortment of baby faces that we've lined up to get them. Uh, damage control team of Bailey, Io Sky, Asuka, and Kairi Sane. And for the baby faces, it's Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, Charlotte, and Shotzi. And a stipulation of this match was the fans got to vote who got the advantage here. And I think that was something that really hurt this match because ultimately the baby faces, of course, won the vote. So they got the advantage. I think this match would have worked a bit better if they had formulated this a little bit better because ultimately by the end of this match, I basically looked at the damage control team as very sympathetic, like baby faces more than the baby faces in a lot of ways. You look at the match. They were always fighting the numbers advantage. The baby faces always had it. The the best moment of the match or really the whole show from an in-ring standpoint was EO doing the trash can dive off, off this, the cage, which she had done before in NXT. This was the first time they did it on a, a bigger stage like this uh, here. And it was captivating when she did it. It was fr- freaking awesome. I watched this show with Mamma and Ken, by the way, too. Uh, my, grandpa- my grandma and great-grandpa, respectively. The trash can dive got a huge pop in, in, my, in my my house here <laughs> they, they she mamma in particular went nuts over the the trash can dive um but the match started off with bailey and becky they did a lot too of teasing here which i thought was interesting it kind of gave me thoughts about some things uh considering recent events which we may be about to talk about uh later in the show so they really made a big deal like oh bailey and becky and Charlotte as well, when she got in there. They were all a part of the four horsewomen together. They kept bringing it up, and it just made me think about if they're trying to make a play for Sasha uh, to return, to be honest with you. Uh, the way they leaned so heavy into the story. And again, if you watch the TV, this storyline more or less popped up out of nowhere with Becky coming in. Becky was in a feud with Zia Lee on Raw, and then suddenly she's on the SmackDown team now for uh, you know Survivor Series. And will she team with Charlotte? They built up here. Uh, as I said, the baby faces had the advantage. I think it would have been smarter if they had had Charlotte be the second person in. Or maybe Charlotte could have started and then Becky rushed out to the ring to save her. But Charlotte was like, hey, I didn't need your help. What are you doing? And they kind of stretched that out. They kind of eased the tension of the numbers game not being so dramatically in favor of the baby faces. Uh, but regardless, Shotzi came out next. Uh, she came in. Shotzi took some big damage, some of which from herself. <laughs> she tried to do the suicide dive through, well, from one ring to the other ring, but she kind of fell and hit her head on, on it, and she was really rattled, and, and or at the very least not in the match a lot after that. Uh, she came in there, and then EO came in uh, to even the odds and give Bailey and them an advantage. Uh, the next one was Bianca coming in third. And to kind of even the odds there to give the baby faces more of an advantage. Uh, 
Kyrie came out next. So this is the first time we saw Kyrie on a PLE in, in over three years at this point. Uh, and she, her entrance was so funny because she, when she got let out of the cage, she skipped down to the ring, like doing her pirate walk. Oh, Dylan, you cut out there. Sorry. You said she came out during her entrance and then you cut out. Yeah. Sorry. She, she was skipping down to the ring, like in her pirate walk to the entrance. Uh, it was really funny. Like I, I thought Kyrie's entrance into the ring, uh, a big spot of the match was when she had a, she grabbed a trash can lid and hit the spinning back fist to Shotzi uh, with the trash can lid. That was a highlight for me. Um, Charlotte came in, and then Asuka was the end game on her end. Uh, they did a lot of teases, and, but she finally pulled out the table. A big part of this match was everybody was bringing in weapons from under the ring when they came in. The table got a huge pop from the stupid fans in attendance. Uh, they loved the table for whatever reason. Um, they came in, Asuka hit the mist on Shotzi. Uh, they were going back and forth at it. Uh, they didn't have a big, you know, as big of a dramatic stare down as usual, except when Asuka came in, they had the weapons and they looked like they were in control, but instead the baby faces all united. Uh, Charlotte did a moonsault off the top of the cage and a miracle happened. We were witness to something no one could have expected. She actually hit her moonsault, which <laughs> is very, very rare for the Charlotte, uh, moonsault. I mean, she killed EO Sky with it. She just landed right on her head uh, with this. It looked very dangerous. But regardless, they it all they basically took out everybody in damage control until Bailey was the only one left. All four hit their finishers, and it culminated with Becky hitting the rock bottom or the manhandle slam, if you would like to call it that, off the middle rope through a table. Becky scored the win. They all posed on top of the cage at the end and did their pinky thing that Becky and Charlotte used to do, and they all did it together to signify they're all united. And Charlotte and Becky hugged in the match. They came together. I didn't think it was as dramatic as it could have the way they did the hug, but it did happen, and they're all cool now. Dude, it looked like it looked, it looked like they didn't know how to hug. <laughs> like they like grabbed each other and then they just started like slapping each other's backs really yeah. hard. And it, it was, was, like, kind of endearing, but it – it I think, like, you expect a big dramatic thing, but it did have that totally different, like, feeling to it. But I thought that was funny. Well, Charlotte wanted a normal hug. She kind of put her arms out, like, as Drake and Josh, like, hug me, brother, type of deal. Uh, and Becky, yeah. like, rushed her and, like you said, kept slapping her back and, like, shook her around and got – super animated charlotte was just kind of went along with it like charlotte had the right idea but becky was like furiously hugging her and i don't know why but uh, regardless it was somewhat amusing what'd you think of the match here this was my favorite match of the night um i thought that they did a good job at the formula right um each person i thought brought in like kind of their own little signature weapon as well which i enjoyed um Dude, Kyrie killed Shotzi with that yeah. back fist because she did it once when she came in and then she did it again at the end. Right. And the I think it was like was the end one. Yeah. The- Dude, the second one, because they're all celebrating in the ring and you can see like <laughs> they're looking at Shotzi like, are you OK? Because the whole left side of her face it looked like she was bleeding out of her ear. Like all like, dude, she just got clocked with it. Um, I thought damage control looked amazing um 
I thought that the storytelling with like Becky coming out in her own little outfit with the black, with the whole will they won't they just nice little storytelling touch with everyone else in like that big, like splashes of pink. Um, if I'm not mistaken, nothing happened after the match with Bailey, right? No, there's there's nothing that happened afterwards. Okay. Right, they they just posed on top of the cage, the baby faces. Yeah, and I'm I'm happy that we didn't get anything immediate with like Bailey getting kicked out, just because I think there is more that you can do. Um, you know, I was kind of expecting if Damage Control lost for Bailey to take the pin or whatever, and then um, she's kind of just kicked out. Then very like. Um, you're not good enough, or I don't know, but uh, that's coming. Like to me, it's obvious that Bailey's going to go babyface. Can we get this? Yeah, no, and um, I, I guess I'm just happy that they didn't rush it. Um, it's weird having Charlotte back. Like again, she's one of those people where it's like 14 time champion, and I'm like, God, dude, that is wild. And they're like, and this is her first War Games match, and I'm like. That's also wild because, like, you know, Charlotte has always very much existed only in the title picture, it feels like. So when she does these other things, sometimes I'm like, dude, it's just random, you know, to have her back here. Now, she really is like that almost women's division Brock Lesnar. Um, the Sasuke spot off the top of the cage was my favorite. I really liked how Io got the trash can into the ring. Yeah, that was pretty um, cool. That was I kind of it, clever. Yeah. Yeah, she, what was it? She dropped the chain or whatever. Dakota hooked it up. Um, and at first I was like, this is so gimmicky. And then I was like, wait, how would she have gotten the trash can up there? I was like, this is brilliant, right? At first um, I thought, well, at so first I really I thought that. When, she, when she dropped the, the chain down to Dakota, I first I thought she was going to try and pull Dakota up, like with the chain over the cage, which would have oh, been a, a not possible physically. <laughs> like, I don't know why I thought that. But for, for some reason, I thought she was like going to wrap her, herself with the chain and EO was going to try and pull her up the cage like an elevator, which would have been very funny if that <laughs> happened. But the, the trash can, like you said, <laughs> it was really clever how they did that. She hooked it up uh, and then I got the trash can on top of the cage and then hit the hit the dive. Um, yeah, and like, okay. Also, another little storytelling thing, but Kyrie or I got damage control coming out in their masks and Bailey totally just her mask was not as cool. You could tell <laughs> like, I don't know. She really just looked like the one of these is different than the other in terms of like Bailey's just hanging out now with like this ultimate heel faction led by Dakota Kai apparently now. Um, and because they like Cole or, or Graves or someone mentioned that and I. Again, it's, I don't watch week to week. I hadn't noticed that. So if you wanted to speak on that, I, I am interested if that's like an actual development because he had said, you know, Dakota Kai giving out direction. And I think it was she had like inserted something into the ring. Right. She gave them some kind of weapon, a chair or whatever. And they were like, yeah, Dakota's kind of become a kendo stick. And they were like, yeah, Dakota's kind of become the de facto leader of damage control in recent weeks. So what, what's going on with that? Bailey really did the promo on SmackDown where she was bragging about how great damage control is stronger than ever and all of that. But Dakota did stand up because at first <laughs> Bailey was kind of heated with EO when Kyrie came in and she was like, why did you why did you bring her in? She hates me. Like, you, what are you doing? And Dakota was like, well, we brought her in because 
you know, we wanted to, or whatever her explanation was. She was like, you know, she'll be great. Don't worry. I still, that's one issue I have with this whole deal. Kyrie and Asuka teaming with Bailey is stupid, ultimately. And clearly the point of this is just to even the numbers out uh, for this particular match. And I do think that that turn is going to happen sooner or later. If it happened this week on SmackDown, I wouldn't be surprised. Let's just say. I agree with you that I'm glad they didn't do it on this show. But they have the perfect setup to it now. Uh, Bailey lost the match. They can all blame her and kick her ass out and set up a Bailey babyface turn, which could help. I think that's a great program to get into Royal Rumble, Bailey versus EO. Uh, you like, you know, I think that's a great challenger because they didn't really set up a challenger for EO. Uh, coming out of this match. Maybe you can have EO beat Shotzi on a TV show, give her a title shot coming out of this. Uh, but yeah, I didn't really sense anything on the TV that made Dakota seem like the leader, but more so just somebody who came in and stepped in for them. Uh, but we'll see how long that lasts, if she's still a part of it uh, going forward. Where do you think they go with EO? Like, who do you think the next challenger is? I have no clue. They I didn't mean, set her up at all in, in, in this match. No, and that's the thing is that this whole pay-per-view, like, uh, outside of CM Punk debuting, like, I don't know what's happening Monday. Like, nothing really changed or whatever. Yeah, um, it was like a I, I do want to – yeah, I do want to shout out Shotzi. She worked her ass off. I remember there was also that – Um, I liked the spot a lot where she was there. Her and Oscar are both on the top rope. She's about to take out Oscar, and Oscar just miss her. And yep. dude, Oscar's grin after that, um, the whole finishing sequence, everyone hitting their shit on Bailey. It was like it, you know, it was like the sympathetic Bailey shit or whatever. It's like in her own faction, the vultures have swarmed, and now they're all in one ring, as she's in the other, swarmed by a whole different group of vultures, and she just cannot catch a break. Definitely feels like they want Sasha back. It will be interesting to see what happens. Like, has Sasha scratched that itch? Is there anything left for her to do outside? Um, I don't know. I'm not even going to begin to fucking CM Punk just returned to WWE. <laughs> literally anything possible, right? Um, so who knows what will happen with that? Um, and also, like, who else? I mean, if you want to get really crazy, because you said four horsewomen earlier, right? Yeah, they brought it up a bunch of times in the match. Yeah. See, but then I'm like, man, that's a Survivor Series match right there. Yeah. <laughs> How did they never do that? It was so stupid that they actually never had them, like, team together for any length of time. You threw away a real faction that you could have that has a ton of cachet with the fans. That's one of the things I'll never understand. How did they let them slip by without them all four being in a faction for some time period, at least for a big match, like a Survivor Series, at least? Dude, yeah, I I don't know. Um, it's weird because, like, okay, so uh, under Hunter, right, he has, like, a lot of things have changed. Like, you know, with Vince, we're not going to be getting Michael Colby and, like, oh, yeah, Asuka is the first time teaming up with Eos. It's her old trios, uh, triple tails or whatever. And you're like, what? um so maybe because i'm like it it would be very crazy if they get sasha back you know i imagine that bailey would have to ask for help against damage control now right so i'm like it only makes sense it would be like becky bailey charlotte 
and um Sasha Sasha yeah versus but then I'm like God, I feel like they just go over Dakota and them I don't know but overall I like oh, this yeah. I thought this was uh yeah this was my favorite match of the night and I I do think that this pay-per-view this pay-per-view has the fucking pacing of the Nganu Tyson Fury fight. Like, <laughs> dude, this was, I think it was like, if we combine the cage match stuff, it's like pretty much right around 90 minutes total of wrestling. And this was over three hours as a show. Like this was egregious. The amount of ads that are now here, oh, yeah, the a lot commercials, of the fucking just random segments with no purpose. Like this felt that. Yeah, and I think, like, you know, coming off of Crown Jewel as well, right? And this whole past year, Crown Jewel, um, you know, like, fucking uh, Puerto Rico, Backlash, all these shows, right? Um, It's like, this was one of those PLEs that felt like an old WWE pay-per-view. This, And it's weird when one of their big four has that feeling, because this felt like probably the smallest WWE pay-per-view in a long time. Yeah, and obviously the number of matches are part of that. Uh, also, uh, we got to hear Black Sabbath 500 times uh, on this there show. Well. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's the same. Well, what's with the nostalgia era of these theme songs? Like, I remember Triple when. They, well, obviously that's the reason. <laughs> I remember when they used to have hot new stuff come out. Like, they'd always have new <laughs> theme songs, but here. Every day wasn't like born to be wild. The SummerSlams theme on top of it. It's like, what's with this stuff from 50 years ago as, as our theme song? Can we just move to another de- decade at least with your music, Triple H, please? <laughs> I'm begging you. Uh, but yeah, six is like it's like an eight minute song, too. And they use the same like two seconds. <laughs> and I'm just like, dude, every time. When I posted our, our predictions on the Wrestle Update Instagram account, I posted it with the, the music clip of of that exact, you know, da-da. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so <laughs> I made sure. I know what you're wanting to do, Triple H. But uh, the, 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 the opening match, I agree with you. I thought it was by far the best match on the show, to be honest with you. Um, it was still flawed. It wasn't a great match by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just not a fan of this format because there's so much going on where they're so reliant on kendo sticks, the weapons, and a lot of slow-paced stuff in this match. A lot of just standing around, to be honest with you. Like, that's how you have to fill up these time slots is somebody's dominant. You can't pin them. You can't go to near falls or anything like that. You just kind of have to stand around. And like you said, the entrances are basically the hot tag for these matches. A brief period where the countdown goes down and somebody new comes in, that always gets a pop no matter who it is, uh, pretty much. And it gives your their match a fresh dimension, a fresh energy. Uh, they built up to one or two big spots. They didn't overdo it. Uh, but And the EO dive was great. There was some cool stuff in the match. I don't really think anybody in particular stood out, to be honest with you. Uh, they all had their moments, and like the miss spot you mentioned was cool. The the back fist was awesome that Kyrie did to Shotzi. The dives were obviously great, and you had Bailey and Becky from the start to finish, so they get a little something there. Uh, you know, it's 
it was a good match. I give it about a three and a half, three and a half. I think would be about where I go with that. Yeah, I'd come on three and a half as well. Um, you know, to speak more on what you're saying with board games again, it's like I think it's when Orton came in in the main event and he does the whole thing where it's like each Judgment Day member one by one goes into the ring that he's in, right? And it's like I think Balor's about to get rope hung DDT'd. And the camera sort of pans, right? And you can see Priest with his back towards Orton and he's just stomping on like Jey Uso or some <laughs> shit. And it's one of those things where war games, I think, really, it really fucks up like wrestling suspension of disbelief, right? Because so much of what wrestling is like question conflict, right? In terms of like, okay, if four people just got hit, why are they all going one by one? Right. Instead of just attacking him at once sort of thing. And it's like with this template and these set pieces where it's like there's such little connective tissue and we see it in blood and guts, too. Like it's just and in that art of war games that GCW where it's like, man, it's just it, it really, really like shines a spotlight on the artificiality of it all and like the the literal stage the staged aspects in terms of you have to be standing here now with your back face towards this ring uh because orton's going to be doing this stuff and then when it's your turn you will turn around and go in there right to where it's very video gamey like there's only one control one person that's controlled by like the player at once right and then everyone else are kind of just like cpu that are following whatever the pattern is like that it really feels like it's missing life a lot of the time. And that's really how the men's war games felt to me. But for this one, it, it was fun, you know, and I think all of them fall or suffer from like that whole um, element. But yeah, I don't know. It's um, this, this was about as fun and good of a war games as you can get for me. Yeah. I mean, they're stuck in their tropes, but for this one, I think they did a, a decent job of it. <laughs> they set up some interesting things going forward. What do you think of the potential of Charlotte and Becky now maybe being a tag team? Which they kind of denied on the, the press conference afterwards. or They basically said, ah, oh, we're just at the beginning stages of that. But I actually think they've done enough with this team that it would be kind of good if you built them up and had them win the tag titles. Because the titles don't mean anything at all. And you might as well give them a little bit of purpose with this uh, to go for a little while. That kind of holds you over until you get to the, the title match, which I think ultimately is EO versus Bailey is where they're, they want to go. Um, and you could have them – that would also let Becky be on the same show as Charlotte too. And I could totally envision a scenario around Royal Rumble or whatever where damage control comes in. They have the numbers advantage, four on three beat down. Sasha makes the surprise return uh, and comes in. If, if they can do that, that's probably their dream of where this would go. Uh, Colleen's house, all four of them unite, throw up the four fingers uh, like they did in that NXT match <laughs> that time. Uh, I can see that. But we'll see. I definitely think Bailey's going to get turned on and we'll set up EO versus Bailey. They don't have a big show next month, like for December. Yeah, it's a two-month push now to the Rumble, yeah. which is pretty long for WWE. Um, how will they use the time? We don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Like, Becky and Charlotte teaming up, it's cool, but 
there's no other women teams and the current champions were on the ruffles commercial during the pay-per-view so it's like one of those things where they team up but then it's like okay they got to build a whole other goddamn division now too right um like we have katana chance and kate and carter on the main roster now but i like i don't i haven't really heard much about them or anything no they don't use Um, them very much no and like that's why you know Anytime it's like, oh, are they going to team up? It's like, yeah, but in what division, right? It's like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, the the women's tag team wrestling has just been done so dirty by WWE. Um, and I just, I don't have much faith in it. Um, no, but if, if they're able to do something cool, absolutely. Um, you know, I think more than anything, I'm interested to see what happens with Shotzi coming out of this. If she's able to sort of sustain momentum or if her like gimmick was just kind of exploited for the war games event, you know? Yeah. And hopefully they continue on to give her some momentum because she was linked to, you know, three of your top women stars in the whole division. So that's a great thing for her at least. Yeah. So then you mentioned it earlier. We had the ruffles deal. Um, Chelsea and, and Piper Niven were eating the ruffles. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the Alpha Academy was there, also eating ruffles. And then uh, Pretty Deadly came in, and they were mad because they were keep calling them chips, but they said they were crisp. Otis said they were chips. The chips flew everywhere, and suddenly we had the return that nobody saw coming on this show. The shocking return of our truth. And then they had Tozawa dance. For for some reason, I like can remember all of the dialogue in this, like Chelsea being like, they're going to love me. And then Piper goes, us, they're going to love us, Chelsea. And she's like, yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> oh no, dude. It was like, this touched your heart. I guess it really made an imprint on me. Otis being like, they're called chips. Um, Yeah, dude, it's like. If this maybe the theme of this show was just how much WWE has sold its show. But then I turned on (laughs) collision this morning. Right. And the entire show now, like, you know, what during like uh, triple mania, when there's just like those fucking garish ads in the back the whole time. And you're like. God, those are distracting. Now he got like these Woo Energy logos on the Dynamite. Yeah. And dude, it. they look like those fucking WWE CGI, like big time Bex cartoons or whatever. It's awful. And like, I'm just like, I mean, dude, it's fucking capitalism. These are businesses. Of course, they're going to sell ad space as much as they can, whatever. But it just it's such a fucking slog to sit through. And it's so lifeless. And it's so soulless, and there's just nothing like, yeah. uh, I don't know. I was just like, bull. But, you know, it is what it is. And then we got a bunch of Slim Jim shit, too. Like Kofi and Xavier driving out in a Slim Jim car and then talking about Slim Jims. And That's true. Uh, well, we had Sammy and Jay there backstage. Suddenly, Jay says, Randy's not here yet. And... He's all, you know, he's emoing out for a second. He's like, well, of course, why would he be here? It was, it's my fault. It's my fault, man. And so Sam was like, don't worry, it's not your fault. 
uh, you know, whatever happens, we've got history. We've got brotherhood between us. We got this. And they did their secret handshake. <laughs> and basically, this set up the tease that would Orton be, th- be there? Which, again, I thought was totally unnecessary, uh, to be honest with you. There was no chance that th- this was not going to play out how it did. I mean, this wasn't as bad as the MGF deal on the last, on the full year show where they were like, oh, we'll hit, you know, it'll be Adam Cole in the main event. That was like ungodly stupid with the, the ambulance and all. But this was not good either. Like, I, why did they do this? There was who would believe that Orton wasn't going to be there in the main event? I mean, like from a retrospective standpoint, I guess it's like, did, OK, did they, honestly, though, do you think that they te- they tease this to make people think that CM Punk was going to be the fifth, like he was going to be the mystery guy at the end. Dylan, absolutely. Wrestling fans, we are the most gullible, easily manipulative fucking people in the world. Um, I thought for literally half a second last night, I thought Michael Cole was physically capable of actually restraining Seth Rollins. You know, like we it's interesting, right, because we believe in this fake product so much that it it is like this little (laughs) mind game right trying to because like you know you can try to predict the future based off of blah 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 and this and that or whatever and it's you know really a never say never thing with pro wrestling and especially after last night and i think like it taps so like okay there's let's say Generally speaking, there's two types of audiences here in this situation, right? There are your casual fans who are now like, oh, my God, will Randy Orton show up? Right. Because as much as we're like, who the fuck is going to believe this? Dude, there are those WWE fans. We know them. We love them. And people, they buy into this stuff, right? They're not even going to think about CM Punk because they don't know what the fuck is going on with him. Right. And then there's the other group of fans who are the people with like that one little like note right like that one little dangling thing you're gonna be like oh shit could it be and then when orton debuts it's like damn you know of course i was silly forever thinking that and then they do the debut right so i I think in in those terms it does work was it interesting did it hold my attention no um like but did it did it did it succeed in creating and achieving that like initial fascination yes um especially because like and i mean like it's one of those things where triple h even said like in the in the press conference right like they know what's being said in public they know you know whatever's being reported and etc and it shows like how easily what was it like last night up until 30 minutes before punk debuted srs was like i'm telling you he is not yeah. <laughs> like i staked my fucking career on it you <laughs> and then half an hour later he's got the full scoop on everything involving the situation i'm like yeah now you do dude i'm so sure Jeez. and it's like i mean dude, like we, we will never defend like you know we're talking about before the podcast we were like talking about we're fantasy booking Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot, right? And it's like, <laughs> we, we only know what they want us to know, and we can't really suppose we know anything otherwise. Like, um, and, but I mean, I, the Orton thing felt weird, especially after the MJF thing the week before. Um, it's like, and this wasn't as bad as that, in my opinion. I'm, I'm not saying it was. I'm just saying it was unnecessary and kind of silly to to even go there. And I only break based this off of the fact 
<laughs> when this happened, Mamma immediately turned to me and said, there's no fucking way. Like, he's going <laughs> to... And she is as much of a casual fan as you could imagine to be. And I, if, if they didn't fool her or have her doubt it yet, then I don't think that it was that reasonable. That's just my opinion. I'm not saying it didn't get anybody. I'm just saying I thought it was a little unnecessary. I think they could have accomplished everything they wanted to accomplish without this. I guess only the only thing this set up was so Rhea could come out and prolong his debut for like 20 seconds, maybe. And I just I didn't think it was necessary. But I it wasn't as, like I said, the MJF stuff was bad and insulting. This was just kind of an old trope that was kind of silly, in my opinion. Uh, no, but not yeah. as not as silly as Bigfoot versus Loch Ness monster. However, <laughs> I think they could have they could have burned this a little more though in terms of like again what was the point of announcing Orton felt and maybe things to, I don't know who the, what the fuck right behind the scenes but yeah it felt like they announced Orton purely to basically say CM Punk is not debuting right that's exactly what I thought too with and so so. Let's go into this show now and let's say that Cody does say he has a fifth guy. He's an old friend, right? And it's been a while since we've seen him because anything that you could theoretically say about Orton or a punk in this sense, right, could be, you know, manufactured in a way to retrofit Orton yeah. as well. You know, I have a long history with him, blah, 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 whatever. Um, and he used you know, Kill Switch Engage as his theme. <laughs> <laughs> And the whole internet's like, it's Roddy's back next strong. <laughs> um, Finally. <laughs> and, um, but like, okay, so then we start the pay-per-view. Cody's like, hey, guys, so, you know, I I don't know if my guy's going to, it's here yet. You know, he he might be having second thoughts about working with Jay. And then Jay says, oh, I'm telling you, man, he's not going to come. And it's because of me. And now you have the exact same situation play out. And if anything, the Jay Uso stuff is like more palpable and resonant because it's yeah. sudden, right? It's like, hey, this like we don't know who this is, and now they might not come because of you, as opposed to just Randy Orton's gonna debut. And then like there's no tension, right? Because Randy Orton's not on TV. So there's like no real tension to tease he might not debut because of Jay Uso, right? But then we're just told that, and yeah, I don't know. I think you could have done this way better because what this reminded me of was all out. The Cole Bryan double debut because it's oh, like, yeah. how do you debut two people? And it's like, hypothetically, it feels impossible, right? And I think that they did it very badly here, but we'll get to that. So let's talk about the Intercontinental title next. Uh, Gunther versus Miz. They did a great job. Gunther has been killing it on the mic. Uh, in the build-up to this. He has been awesome uh, in, in all of this. Uh, Miz, he's done his normal promos, and uh, with Gunther's great work, has got him on his side. He got the crowd on Miz's side somehow. But I th- honestly thought... Now, it's true, because what I've heard a lot, of the take on this match I've heard a lot the last day, has been this was above usual Miz standards, but below Gunther's standards, pretty much. Yep. And that may actually be true when you think about it. But it's still, I don't think this was a good match, personally. I think there was so much going on with trying to get him, uh, get Miz over. 
And they were trying to tell the story. Miz will do whatever he needs to do to win with the low blow and all of that stuff that they did. But the thing is, his attacks are so weak that he didn't even really get to show. I think the best way to utilize this match would be have Gunther absolutely kill Miz. Like, just destroy him in this match with chops. Give him a beating and just relentlessly beat the hell out of this guy. But he never goes down. Like, he constantly kicks out of everything. Like, you try and show that he – try and let him earn respect for at least being a tough guy in terms of toughness. Not necessarily being a badass, but just a guy who will take punishment and won't quit. He actually has some heart. Even though, again, that completely contradicts his entire character for, like, 20 years now. But you could at least have him take a beating. He's determined. And they kind of touched on it a little bit, saying, hey, the big mistake Gunther made was telling Miz he can't do something. That's the, you know, he's too stubborn and too prideful to just give in that easily. So have him fight his heart out. Maybe he gets a big rush or like a flash pin, get the crowd rallying. I think that would have worked a lot better than this match, which wasn't quite a 50-50 match, but they gave Miz a lot here. They had him chopping him going in there. You had him go after the leg, and they tried to tell this leg story with the figure four in the corner, but it totally didn't go anywhere, to be honest. Uh, it really wasn't interesting at all when he was on offense, and Gunther Selling wasn't pronounced enough to make it even mean anything. They tried to do some back and forth with Miz using the cheating and getting a near fall, but I, again, I personally never bought into him winning the title. They're not going to end this legendary title reign off of a low blow. Um, I didn't think this was that good of a match. Again, it was average, and that's probably the peak that you're going to get out of a Miz, who was a, a terrible performer. I really think, actually... Because they, they had these moments in the match where they did his quote-unquote spots, like big spots, where he did the springboard and the Tilt-A-World DDT. But I actually think it just having Miz do that stuff actually makes wrestling look worse. Yes. Oh, my God. Because it proves that anybody could do this stuff. It's not, <laughs> it's not that impressive to do a Tilt-A-World DDT. If Miz can do it, why can't you do it? If you were with Gunther or the right partner, why couldn't you do a DDT, a Tilt a World DDT, if he did it? It just makes it look easy, and like that, it's not as hard or as difficult as it should be. And you're taking away some of the magic of wrestling, in my opinion, by having somebody so untalented do these kind of cool-looking moves. In reality, they're not that complicated, actually. But just to have him do them actually makes the art of wrestling less meaningful in my opinion. So I cannot give this match a passing grade, unfortunately. Yeah. I did not like this. Cause even when people are like, Oh, is it good for a mismatch? I'm like, cool. Do you like the Miz? Do you think he has good match? Like what is a good mismatch to you? Like, you know, um, this was bad. Like the whole match really did. It, it felt so antithetical to, what it was that you said it could have been, right? And I think what you described, honestly, is Claudio versus Daniel Garcia. I thought they achieved exactly what you said they, they could and should have done here. Um, like, all of Gunther's spots felt, you know, he's Miz is going to get chopped. He's going to do this. He's going to get beat up, right? So we kind of expect that. And then each of Miz's big comeback moves, the tilt-to-whirl, those god-awful kicks that he just does right yeah. it's just so unbelievable because like 
I don't know, like you look at the Miz kick and then you look at it. There's no intention whatsoever, right? He is kicking simply to kick. He is not targeting Gunther. He's not, you know, he's not preparing himself. He's not thinking about it. This guy's just throwing shitty ass kicks. And the skull crushing finale to like the, the close two count, whatever. Um, like it was just all so standard and by the book. This was the most WWE mismatch, like more so than others, just because like, I, I don't know, there, there was literally nothing innovative here whatsoever. And I think that was because the story was the Miz can't wrestle and the Miz proved he can't. Um, like, it's just, I don't know. I, I get like Gunther needed an opponent. Um, but yeah, like, like you said, it, nothing felt meaningful here. Like even Gunther's offense, it's like, okay, cool. Like, I don't know. There's just like, you usually in awe of Gunther chopping someone. Right. And here it's just like, can we get through this for me at least? So, um, I don't know. It's, I, I think Gunther's reign has been so great because he has not faced people like the Miz. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's so, the best. But yep, if, I mean, if you compare this to the other matches he's had, Gunther has been on a streak of great matches. Uh, to me, the best was unquestionably Gable, and I would have loved to have seen them uh, kind of continue their story. They really left that thread hanging, and I wish they would get back to it uh, desperately. But he had other great matches with Champa, uh, Bronson Reed, so on and so forth. To me, I'm sorry, like this match was not as good as any of those. Like there's no way I can buy that. And this has a seven point three oh rating on Cage Match, but to me, like if you compare them to those other matches, there's a large gap. Like there's no way you can argue with me there isn't a gap. And maybe this was a feel good story for some people, but to me I just I wasn't into it at all. It didn't grab me. And the wrestling was very below average on Miz's standards, as he always is. Like, he always sucks. <laughs> so so we know that. And like you said, the strike battles, they should have definitely have cut that off. Like, that, that should have been taken out of the match, the kicks and all that stuff. <laughs> I really yeah. don't get why he does it other than to be a meta heel. Like, I suck at this. <laughs> like, that, you know, that gives me heat. But it, it sucks. Like, it just sucks, especially it's a baby face. Uh, I, I don't get it. Uh, the opening match had an 8.14 rating, uh, which was a high rating. Uh, I would go a little lower, but it was still on track. Uh, to me, this was like a two-star match, in my opinion. I didn't think it, it had a lot to it at all. Yeah, no, and like I think that Gunther has had successful matches with, I would say, you know, WWE guys in the sense of a Braun Strowman or Xavier yeah. Woods, even dude, Sheamus, right? This guy fucking resuscitated Sheamus's career like he was PCO, you know? And like with The Miz, this was just a total bullshit match. So I think it said, it's funny because it's, you know, in the press conference afterwards, someone's like, oh, Gunther, did the, did the Miz finally uh, prove he deserves to be in the ring with you? I think you could see in Gunther's eyes, he definitely felt like he didn't. <laughs> He's like, hell no, <laughs> that, that's yeah. what he should have said. <laughs> oh, and, but hey, if anything, like you said, Gunther really upped his mic skills here. Um, and it's I wouldn't even say it's because Miz is good on the mic. I think it's just because he talks a lot that the other person has to be able to stand their ground. Yeah, I think Miz sucks on the mic, actually. like I, I think he's way overrated because that's what everybody points to 
But really, he's like the king of tropes, like on the mic. Like, there's nothing authentic about anything he says, uh, even as a heel to me. I, I always think he's very unbelievable on the mic and very boring, to be honest. But he loves wrestling. Uh, that that is the one thing they tried to put him over as like this like he that's his deal he loves wrestling he studies all the legends and that like when he did the figure four on the post they were like ah that's just like brett the hitman hart would do and it's like dude he is nothing <laughs> brett hart is pissed just you know he somewhere his eyes like shot open while he was lying down. Like, you know, he felt something off with his soul that someone compared him to Miz uh, on there. Uh, but regardless, we didn't like the match that much. A lot of people liked it more, but I doubt it'll leave any lasting imprint <laughs> overall. So we'll see. The crowd was moderately into it, but I didn't think especially again, compare this to the Gable match with the crowd and they were way more into him. Uh, the, this match, in my opinion. So they cut to Judgment Day backstage. They're laughing about Randy Orton not coming in uh, or not being there. They're like, look, either he's not there and we have the numbers advantage or he comes in and he'll poison them from the inside. And they laugh about it. And uh, Dude, I was that was thinking, so fucking weird. That was, Finn said that, right? Like, that, yeah, Finn said that exactly. Yeah, and I think that that was a uh, uh, a mouthpiece for Tony Khan might be saying right now about poisoning someone from the inside. <laughs> also, Priest was like, "Hey, I'm going to tell Drew that, and I'm going to tell him about the thing," which I'm assuming is the cash in. No. Yeah, okay. I guess. I will say that contrary to earlier, Mamma was totally like, what does he mean by the thing? She was like totally engrossed in what the thing was, like what he had <laughs> planned. And I was like, I don't know. It'll probably be something stupid on there. Uh, they recap uh, Santos Escobar uh, turning on Rey Mysterio, injuring Carlito, uh, and Escobar, much like Gunther on Raw, he's basically carried SmackDown the last couple of weeks, <laughs> cutting some awesome promos as a heel. He's really found himself. I hated it, though. My heart broke when he made uh, Cruz del Toro and Joaquin Wilde look like such geeks, though, <laughs> at the end of the day. I, I wish they had not done that. But because you could have had Legado del Fantasma reunite, which I think would have been awesome. Uh, but anyway, Santos, uh, Dragon Lee stepped in. Uh, they it was going to be Carlito and Santos, uh, but then Nick Aldis was like, "Do you want the match?" And Dragon was like, "Yeah, I keep telling you, I want in." And he's like, "Do you really want the match?" And he's like, "Yes, put me in the match." And he's like, "All right, I'll put you in the match." And Dragon Lee's like, "All right." Uh, so he's in. Uh, I'm very sad that Carlito because he cut this heartfelt promo on SmackDown where he's like, "Tomorrow night will be my first uh, match at a pay per view in 13 years." And he was, and I was like, "Huh, that's awesome." And he was like, "That's cool," but then it wasn't cool because he got injured. So <laughs> we're still waiting uh, on that big, big match appearance for Carlito on there. So Santos and Dragon Lee, I thought this was pretty disappointing, but 
I will say that I was impressed with how over these two were. The crowd totally reacted big uh, to these guys. Uh, they were cursing them out. They were. Uh, they got a big Pero chant started in Spanish. Uh, Santos at one point he went up for the ten punches in the turnbuckle, but then he took a second to look at the ca- at the crowd and he pointed at him and said, "You suck," which was awesome. Like I, I was, I thought that was so funny. Uh, they chanted. They said they even had a "fuck you" Santos uh, chant started. <laughs> Dragon Lee was getting huge reactions too <laughs> for his high flying. The crowd it really helped this match. But overall, when you see these names, you expect a great match. Something really spectacular between these two, uh, but it really wasn't that. They just didn't have enough time to get to the next gear. But still, I thought this was a significantly better match than the IC match. I give this three stars. What about you? Yeah, I think three stars is a perfect rating for this. It felt like they weren't really allowed to take it to the next level, um, which I was surprised by. Um, again, like this whole show felt very weird and that it was a showcase, but with like, it felt like no real results. Um, you know, once Carlito got taken out and Dragon Lee got put in, I was like, okay, so rather than just having Santos go over Carlito, right now we're going to have a showcase where we can really establish these two guys here. And at the end of the day, like, I think this match can be remembered pretty much as Santo Escobar getting a singles pay-per-view win right maybe his first singles pay-per-view win but dragon lee to me did not feel like like i thought you could really make a statement with him here um like you know this match getting put on the show this felt like our you know oni lorkin versus timothy thatcher from great american bash where it's like this one's for the sickos right and you know it was just very like the the whole finish was very rushed as well and sudden. And I think that was pretty deflating. It was like the what is it called? The South of the Border Destroyer or some shit like that. <laughs> yeah, they said that about the flip pile driver. Instead of the Canadian destroyer, it's yep. the South of the Border Destroyer, which is very bad. And then right after he hit the driver, right? What driver is it? The, uh, Michael Cole called it the destroyer driver. Here. Okay. <laughs> which is not. It's the Phantom Driver, but whatever. Phantom Driver. Okay, cool, cool. Um, yeah, and it was just very unceremonious. Like it was the kind of finish that felt like Dragon Lee did not matter, you know, where it's like if Dragon Lee kicks out, that's the next stage of the match, right? And, and it was probably even... set up for that too, because remember at that point they had done a back and forth where they both hit bicycle knees on each other, and D Lee was bleeding from the mouth. They cut in on him. And that, like this was perfect. If he had kicked out, they could have really upped the ante with the bloody Dragon Lee fighting off heroically Santos. That would be freaking awesome if they had, had went that route. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that a great match is marked by the winner and the loser both gaining something right for better or worse. And I don't feel like Dragon Lee gained anything from this necessarily. Um, he really felt like an afterthought in what was just a feels like a showcase win for Santos so he can continue his feud with Ray. Um, so, again, it's one of those matches where it's like this was this was a good three star TV match. But like I, I wish it was so much more. And not nearly as good as Dragon Lee versus Axiom <laughs> from SmackDown a couple of weeks ago. That match was freaking awesome. Uh, but. I really thought they were going to have 
two got new guys debut for a new Legado del Fantasma. All right, you didn't like Cruz and Wild. The rumor was it was going to be Garza and Humberto Carrillo, uh, who've been on NXT for a while. That would be great. Like they would be a great faction if they wanted to do it. Those guys are super talented, and it would perfectly establish what they're going for with the LWO. <laughs> have have Santos debut two new guys, and uh, you could have him help Dealey. You protect him a little bit, set up the clean finish. And you could easily set up a, a match down the line with Ray Carlito and Dragon Lee versus uh, Legado del Fantasma if they if they wanted to. But uh, they just totally avoided that, just had Santos win clean. And he'll probably get Carlito on TV at some point next on the way to Royal Rumble. And maybe Ray will be back in time. I don't know his status or not. Maybe they'll set something up for that. But Santos has been killing it on the mic. I have no problem with them wanting to spotlight him. The problem is Lee has been great in the ring and really been helping that show ever since he's been there. And you really hurt him now with this loss for no reason, but yeah, kind of slots, sort of, you know, they're letting him work his ass on TV. And I think you could really tell how this match was going to play out immediately when it started, because it, it's like the first move is pretty much Santos just kind of starts working over dragon Lee. Like it wasn't anything sort of like a sprint or whatever. Like it just sort of started. And I, I, it just felt like this match is going to have a ceiling. And I don't I don't know why you wouldn't want this to be something more, you know, especially on a platform like this, especially on Dragon Lee's first ever singles. Like, the, you know, Carlito's hyping up like, oh, yeah, and this and that and my first pay-per-view match in 13 years. And like, this is Dragon Lee's first ever fucking singles pay-per-view match in WWE um, or PLE match. Right. And it's like, I just, that should mean something as well. And it didn't in the end. The only good news is that the crowd really took to him. No. Yeah. I mean the live crowd at this and even for MJF and Jay White, like dude, these live crowds are eating this shit up. Like that is, That's a that's a definitive and not my thing, but I'm happy they're enjoying it. And they should enjoy Dragon Lee. It's just unfortunate they did they didn't let them get to the level they could have. But regardless, uh, we get the slim Jim crap that you talked about earlier. New Day shows up in the car for no reason, <laughs> pretty much, and they show McIntyre and Damian Priest talking in the background, uh, more or less. They kind of set that up there. And then we had the Raw women's title match. Zoe Stark challenging Rhea Ripley. Dylan, what if, real quick, what if the thing that Damian Priest was talking about, what if he's just making fun of J.D. McDonough's hair? He's like, oh, dude, you should have seen this shit in the locker room. He kind of looks like a garden gnome. He's like, yeah, Finn, I'm going to go tell uh, Drew about that thing. And then he goes out there. He's like, dude, you wouldn't believe what this guy looked like with his little side braids. <laughs> well, then they had a lot to talk about after the show with someone else's haircut <laughs> coming in uh, as well. Uh, but the women's title match, there really wasn't any buildup to this on Raw. Very minimal. Uh, she broke into the Judgment Day's playhouse or whatever they had or clubhouse uh, at one point. And... Her whole story was, hey, Ripley, you're not looking after me. You're not looking out for me. 
why aren't you paying attention to me? You're paying attention to the war games and all this other crap. You should be worried about me. And Ripley's like, yeah, whatever. And so they have this match. Ripley comes out. Uh, Zoe comes out with like the camouflage paint on her face, kind of like the stripes across her face. And uh, some camouflage pants because it's war games. Everyone has the war <laughs> aesthetic, I guess. And then Ripley comes out looking like a, like she's wearing these leather chaps and her hair is like something Prince would wear or Michael Jackson or something here. Uh, it was very fancy, yeah, but she looked like a star. At the end of the day, she had this wild makeup on looking like from the, you know, Sally from the Nightmare Before Christmas. So she's like a cowboy Prince Sally deal from Nightmare Before Christmas, all put together uh, and bondage enthusiast as well, which is always a part of her aesthetic. So we've got this mismatch of style. She looked like a huge star, <laughs> totally overshadowed Zoe. And the crowd just wasn't into this match that much. Occasionally, they would chant for Mommy, but besides that, they weren't into it. At one point, they tried to do a big suplex from the top, but it, they she ended up flipping Zoe over, and I think Zoe was supposed to land on her feet, kind of, but she more or less took a spill, like almost front first into the mat. It looked crazy, but definitely didn't go how they wanted, I don't think. Uh, they had a, a brief fire up. With Zoe going for a big German suplex and a knee strike, but it didn't really get a, fool anybody. She went for the Z360, but no dice. Headbutt for Mommy. Then the uh, Riptide for the win. Rhea Ripley retains the title. Uh, brief match, like a lesser version of the last match, kind of. Like I would put it above the IC title match, but not nearly as good as the prior match. And even the prior match wasn't great. Just nothing there to me to really ha- latch on to. What did you think? Yeah, it's again, it's wild to have such a popular champion and the crowd is chanting for her because they don't care about her defenses yeah right like it's it's just a very i don't get it i don't she has no one to fight there's really no one for her like that that hits her level that makes people invest in a defense right because who's coming into this like oh man you know, like this isn't fucking this isn't like Yuri versus Pereira. Like this is fucking Rhea versus Zoe Stark. We, <laughs> we know who's winning. They do not give us any reason to invest in this. Um, they tried working stiff. Like I, I, you know, I can't claim to really remember much from this match other than they worked pretty snug at times. And that's about yeah. it. But like Rhea just does not have much to work with right now. Um, Zoe is a good worker like this. I really thought this match was going to be a lot better uh, than what it was, to be honest with you. But if you just look at the execution, like you said, working stiff, um, it wasn't a bad match. And she, they're both good workers. It just didn't have anything to be interested in. And they didn't even really try in the buildup. And like you said, there's nobody to really believe in. The only thing this title reign is literally just treading water until Becky challenges her. If they I want was to about to that. say. Yep. It's just like Ronda. Like, that's what it feels like when it's like Ronda versus Ruby Soho, Ronda versus Shotzi. And it's like these yeah, matches yeah. where it's just like it, the, the believability is not there. And even sometimes when the believability is not there. Right. Like, remember how goddamn great John Moxley versus Wheeler Yuta was? Yeah. 
like I feel yeah. like this year, but maybe a year and a half ago. Yeah, it was a year like, and a half ago. Hard to believe. God, that was such a great match, right? And it's like they can make you care about this stuff, but they just don't here. Like, because no one else is even on a level character wise enough to, to to feel like they matter in the ring. Because coming in here, like, no, Zoe Stark is not gonna measure up in current star power or anything to Rhea, but like at least make her mean something. And like she was just paired with Trish Stratus for how long and what did that amount to? And I remember because you and I talked about um what sh- was that Hell in a Cell? Uh, I think they took that off the schedule. It was a uh, fast lane or payback one. But I think okay. it was payback. Yeah. I think it was payback and um she had like the had... sixty on Trish at, at the end. Yeah, and then nothing. And I wonder if that's going to come at Mania. But again, it's like one of those things where she sure didn't act after like, oh, I took out Trish Stratus or something. No, it's just like done and over with and fuck. Like she really just nothing, no momentum maintained or anything. No, and she didn't gain anything from this at all either, which I think they missed the boat out on. Because Um, again, dude, like if Rhea has the, the really fucking like every promoter and booker should want their champion to be in a position where they can always win and then make other people look good as fuck in the process. Right. Because there's no reason Rhea has to lose. Right. But with someone like an MGF, we kind of want this guy to drop the title now. Right. But Rhea can just keep being asked. But as long as these people look great in defeat, right. Like a Gunther with the NXT UK title, like, um, dude, just any of those reigns, you know, like just and I think ultimately this match was to build up Shayna next month, who is always kind of partner um, on the show. And maybe they'll take her a little bit more seriously because she does have, you know, a backlog, at least being on the roster for a while and being known as a badass type of person. Dude, yeah. And I mean, Rhea, like we talked about this before because there's so much history um and that match with them all at crown jewel yeah. or whatever right and like dude Rhea ended Shayna's nxt title reign Shayna just ended rousey's career supposedly so like this should be <laughs> one of the biggest matches in wwe women's history right and yeah like, if they put effort into it but the thing is they, they're tough because ripley they use more with the men's storyline yeah. like her focus is all on judgment day and Dom Dom and, and all this other bullshit uh, that they have there instead of being a great women's champion, which she's not right now. And it's not because of her. It's because the division is so mishandled, unfortunately, and they need to get back around to what they should be doing. And hopefully they will. I don't anticipate it for Shayna. I think they'll have someone bigger once they get somebody who they already see as a star again, like a Becky. I think we'll get somewhere important and we'll have a great match with them. Like we saw with Charlotte this year's WrestleMania. But ever since then, that, like this year is basically a wash, in my opinion, for Rhea Ripley in terms of her matches. Yeah, no, um, it a hundred percent. I think you said it very well. Um, she exists more in the men's division than she does in the women's. And she's way more of an attraction than a champion right now. And, I mean, I don't think that any of this is her fault, <laughs> you know, no, no, it's not she's her fault. booked the way she's booked and she she keeps becoming a bigger star. And it's wild how 
they aren't capable of making any others to go up against her. So it's it's a bummer. Santos and Dragon Lee had a 6.53 rating, and Ripley and Zoe Stark had a 5.99. Uh, so not super well received either. Uh, I think this match will be very forgettable <laughs> in the long run. They finally cut to the baby faces. And Jay Uso is like, hey, we got to go. Like, Randy's not here. We're going out right next. And Seth Rollins, he's laughing. And he's like, don't worry, Randy will be here. And Sammy's like, he turns to Cody. He's like, we're trusting you, man. And Cody just gives him a solemn nod. So they all come out. Uh, Judgment Day is all with purple bandanas on their faces. And all in the black and white gear. Seth has like uh you know I don't know what is go- is going on here with this uh, but regardless you know he had this weird like inflatable jacket on his shoulder pads they look like big floaties like you know when you're a kid and you go swimming that looks like what he's wearing on his shoulders but Seth as the champion starts off uh, the match he takes the lead as kind of the captain of his team and even though it's Cody was the captain more so, but he's the champ. Finn is in the ring. They have a lot of history. They go at it back and forth to start off. And they really, this was a very slow start, I would say. JD comes out next. Uh, he runs up at him and Finn team up together. They bring up their 20-year history. They do some double-team moves. They have some great chemistry and blah, blah, blah. After that, uh, Jay comes in, and at that point, they cut to Drew. The big storyline coming into this was Drew and Jay. Drew wants to kill Jay Uso, and uh, that's a big part of the match. That's the only reason he's teaming with Judgment Day, even though him and Priest have heat. And when Drew's about to come in, Priest stops him, and he's like, stick to the plan. Uh, you know, stick to the plan. And Drew is like, the plan's changed. And priest is like not my plan so he comes off and drew's pissed uh after that sammy comes in like a house of fire has a ton of energy he pulls a steel pipe off the (laughs) the side of the cage which i thought was pretty cool and nails everybody with it throws it down going nuts uh even zods then drew comes in he beats up everybody on the babyface team but then it comes down to him and him and Uso in the other ring. <laughs> like he walks over to the other ring to get to Jay. And he yells, say you're sorry. Acknowledge what the hell you did. And even Memo is like, he's not asking for a lot here. He just wants him to apologize. Uh, the problem with all this is, is that technically he wasn't even there uh, when they cost him the title against Roman Reigns last year. It was actually Solo <laughs> that did it. He's going after the wrong guy. He needs to be pissed at Solo, not Jay. Uh, But regardless, he goes on. Cody comes in. uh, Then Dominic comes in as the last guy. Uh, They all come in. They all hit big, like, dives on everybody. JD hits a beautiful moonsault. Uh, Finn hits the coup de gras. Dominic hits the frog splash. And Judgment Day all turns to the ring, like, when the countdown comes in with 10 seconds left. And they're, like, ready for Orton to come in. They're like, all right, now, let's be ready. <laughs> like, they've taken out all the baby faces. <laughs> but then nothing happens for a few seconds when the buzzer hits. 
And then Rhea Ripley's music hits. And like you said before, the thing was clearly a cash in. She comes out with the money in the bank and she's like, cash this in. Priest is cashing in. Which begs the question, how does this work exactly? What would have happened to the War Games match if he cashed in during War Games? I imagine <laughs> War Games would continue, right? But then he'd just be the <laughs> WWE champion as well. It's yeah, like he, a mini-match. Yeah, exactly. He would win the title, and then the War Games would have to just keep going on. Yeah. <laughs> but that t- thankfully, we never had to worry about that. Orton's music hit. He got a huge pop <laughs> when he came in. Uh, the crowd, by the way, at this point... Through the match, a few times they were chanting for CM Punk already. <laughs> so clearly that was at least acknowledged by people online. People knew that that was a possibility uh, pretty much. Orton comes out. Man, this He's guy, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to make any <laughs> accusations, but he looked like he did in his early era era, which he did get suspended for steroid use is all I'm saying, uh, at there. Uh, he looked like we haven't seen him in probably 15 years uh, with how, how muscular he was. <laughs> it was crazy. Like Mama lost it when she came out. Uh, she screamed out and like, look at him. <laughs> like, look at how in shape he is. Oh my God. And here's my problem with all of this. He did he take one bump in this match <laughs> outside of the DDT and the RKO bumps he took? Did he actually bump for anybody? I don't think he did anything <laughs> outside of like a few big spots. He comes in, like you said, stupidly. They come in one after the other. He hits the RKO on Dominic and then all five of the babyface team do Randy Orton's DDT, <laughs> like the middle rope DDT. And it looks like he's about to hit the RKO on Priest. But then he turns at Jay, and he does the pose to Jay, and Jay's like, hey, whoa. He turns around, they both stare each other in, in the eye. But then Jay jumps in front of him and hits Priest with a super kick. He saves Priest <laughs> at the end of the day. But suddenly that gives him a lot more respect. Like Orton's all on the side then. Cody Rhodes brings in a cowbell, <laughs> just like Dusty. And... Him and Seth have a tug of war. That's another storyline heading into the match where they hate each other, but for one night they're on the same side. They then grab the rope. They attack him, uh, Finn with it and then hit him in the balls with, with the Kyle Bell together. Much like, that's Isn't that what this country is really all about? Hitting people in the balls to solve your differences at the end of the day. War uh, games. But, war games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in the end, JD... Uh, is all alone and he tries to run away. He tries to climb out of the ring, which by the way, they mentioned multiple times. If you leave the cage, that's a forfeit of the match. Uh, you would lose. So if he climbed out, they would have given up the match automatically, but instead they caught him anyway. And Orton's at the bottom and Sammy. And I think Seth <laughs> were at the top. It might have been Jay, but I think it was Seth. They're both on the top after, uh, JD and Orton's like, throw him to me guys. I'm right here. And they're like, well, all right. They toss JD off the top of the cage into an RKO from Orton. Huge pop, uh, a wild dive from JD <laughs> on, on this, 
these RKOs have never impressed me as much as other people. <laughs> like, it's really the other guy that is more impressive to me than Orton. He just jumps up and catches him, <laughs> kind of. Uh, it wasn't perfect, but it looked good enough, to be honest. Dude, JD just had to belly flop that whole distance. That was brutal. Exactly. <laughs> it wasn't a perfect connection, but it was good enough. You know, the crowd loved it. But in the end, uh, everybody hit a big move. Sammy hit the Haluva kick. Uh, Seth hit the stomp. And then he hit the RKO. Uh, Jay hit the big splash on Drew to kind of also play into that story. And then Orton looked like he had the win. But instead, he looked at Cody and said, you do it. And he pans Priest to Cody. Cody hits the crossroads. And the baby faces win. Huge reaction from the crowd. And uh, before we get into what happened after, what did you think of this match? I was really surprised at the decision to pin Priest, to be Dude, honest. Dude, after the insane cutter they hit on JD. Yeah, why and did he win? And the way that Orton literally hands like Priest to Cody, I hated this ending. Yeah, um, This felt like this felt like the final nail in the coffin for the Judgment Day who came into this feeling like the strongest they've ever been. So it was very weird. Um, again, I have no idea what the future holds, but if I had the book, Hunter, I would have had Jay Uso taken the pin because he is like the center of controversy for this entire babyface team. He is the reason why Judgment Day is even able to do this match and have a fifth member. And Jay Uso was such a fucking non-factor, I swear. In the end. Oh, like, yeah. Even the stuff with Drew, it wasn't like they it was not nearly as pronounced as it could have been. Considering the no, TV. it. Yeah, it didn't have any like it didn't have any like um immediate effect on the finish or I, I don't know. And it just it felt so like um stilted in the sense of this one. And I think. Again, if the matches were flipped, who knows how I would have felt. But I think that the the stop start, right, the pacing issues, all of those become far more glaring after you've already seen one War Games match in a night. Yeah, I agree. I agree I, totally. Yeah, I did not. I I see it has an eight point five on cage match. It was Never, the highest rated match on the show, which is so wild. Also, still can't get over the fact that the show has like almost a nine average out of ten. Um is very wild, especially we I talked we talked about this before this, we started recording, but none of the shows are even rated closely to what the act or none of the matches on the show are rated closely to what the show is. So the fill effect, perhaps. Uh, but no, like okay, I swear I almost texted you right before Rhea came out. I was like, why doesn't Priest just cash in here? And then she came out, and I was like, oh, I'm so fucking smart. And then Orton came out, Genius. and I was like. <laughs> so here's here's what happens now right um like pretty much the match ends and i was like fuck this this is so dumb and i left i just like <laughs> left my room yeah you missed something afterwards you texted me god let me pull up the text where did you text yeah, i just said oh shit <laughs> what, what yeah oh shit and i was like okay well this is afterwards and oh my god okay also the worst part, but also the funniest part in this match is Dominic is about to come in. And I think he's the last one for Judgment Day coming yeah, he in. Yes, he was. And dude, the crowd before he came out was fucking nuclear, though. I will yeah, say. Yeah, this yeah, guy Dominic is so sucks. hated. Yeah. 
And like this, like let, let's let's compare and contrast Orton here with Dominic, right? So Orton comes in, crowd fucking pops their head off. Orton comes in, short arm clothesline, short arm clothesline. Uh, you know, power slam, power slam. Uh, Ropung DDT. RKO. That's literally what happened. Like you're yeah. describing his run right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, and like fucking. And then Dominic comes in, crowd pops. Oh, fuck you, Dominic. Dominic comes in. I'm gonna shove this guy. Fez press, punch him. I'm gonna shove this guy. Fez press, punch him. Dominic Mysterio has no signature moves to do a hot tag for. Oh, totally. <laughs> he, he had nothing to do and then he finally started doing the three amigos suplexes and they got stopped and i was just like dude and like it looked like he didn't have shit to do because he just ran from one guy to the next but i'm like this is like the <laughs> i don't know i thought it was so funny um i love dominic it, i like it was very unimpressive but in a way that i felt like perfectly complimented his character so absolutely he's uh, he's perfect for his character (laughs) like he if you judge him by his ability he sucks (laughs) but it works for him and this very specific character (laughs) like at the end when they when they stopped the three amigos and all four of them beat down dominic at the same time (laughs) that was fucking awesome like that got a great reaction Uh, everybody was into it and I, it was awesome. <laughs> There's no way around it. Uh, yep. I didn't like the finish either. <laughs> like it made no sense to pin Priest. Dude, I thought this guy swear the money in the break beef, uh, money in the bank briefcase is a fucking pin magnet. It like, is. <laughs> Why do they do that? It, it doesn't make any sense. And it, to me, the best story they could have had, if I were the one doing it, I would have had something. <laughs> let's say Orton is about to hit an RKO. But then suddenly JD shoves Priest out of the way. He hits the RKO at JD, and he pins JD, and you want the babyface to win fine. Then you can have something where Orton hits the RKO on Jay, and then suddenly Rhea comes out, and they all gang up on the remaining three. Seth gets destroyed, and he cashes in there. So you have it like where the babyfaces won the match. But the Judgment Day won the war because they got the title pretty much. And that kind of gives us an all new drama. You have Orton as a, a newly turned heel because I think they need heels more than baby faces at this point. You have drama with Drew in Judgment Day. That's not what he signed up for, like to, to get a, a, ahead. You have what happens next with him coming in. You have a heel champion to play off of. I think it would be so much better if they ended this Seth title reign. And just put the title on Priest. I don't care if it's for a week or a month or whatever. Just let him drop the title to a heel, and we can kind of get back to something better. Oh, he's about to. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, after he took the fall in the match. So. No, no, yeah. I'm saying Seth Rollins will drop the title to a heel soon. Don't it's, you worry. Well, <laughs> His name is Phil fucking Brooks. <laughs> so they all pose at the end. They all raise their arms. Uh, I would give this... The thing is, this wasn't a terrible match. The crowd was red hot for it. They pretty much accomplished everything they wanted to. It wasn't insulting or anything like that. But to me, it was just a slog to get through. I wasn't excited about anything. To me, this wasn't significantly better than even the Santos match, even though it lasted five times as long or four times as long. I I give this about three. Three stars. Yeah, I do like a two and three quarters for me. Um you know, I'll say again, I think one of the worst aspects of this pay-per-view, which is to no fault of the wrestlers or agents or, you know, it's just this had such bad pacing overall. And it wasn't the matches. It was the fact that 
the show was double the match length and all of that was fluff. It was just so much fluff. Um, Like I went from sitting down and watching the show to having the show on, if that makes sense, you know? Um, And yeah, I don't know, like as a whole, you know, before we hop into Phil, yeah, this did not feel like a big four pay-per-view at all. I feel like with, you know, any sort of big four, there should be massive narrative momentum. And to me, that's not CM Punk debuting. And again, that's that's purely subjective there. Um, is it promotion shaking? Sure. Do I care? No, because I just watched his run for the past two years. And that's and, the, like, um, this is going to hinge on your feelings on Punk. <laughs> like if yes. you're hyped for him to come back, I think you have a lot different like uh, point of view. Uh, on the show overall but when in action like how they executed it the crowd loved it like the orton and punk debuts both worked uh totally like how they wanted they couldn't have dreamed it any better (laughs) and in hindsight it's one of those things well we'll talk about it let's just get through this so they all pose in the ring and suddenly cm punk's music hits they have the Titantron, the, the name on the screen, the fist and all that. <laughs> Cult of personality there. The crowd blows the roof off. I mean, this was an unreal reaction <laughs> that they gave them. They cut away from the ring, <laughs> which I thought was smart considering what they <laughs> they leaked online. Uh, they immediately cut away. They zoom in on Punk. He walks out in a white T-shirt and jeans thinking he's <laughs> Brian Danielson <laughs> in AEW. He has this weird new haircut of his, more spiky. Uh, he's out. He does the wristwatch thing, and he just says, it's, and then points to the crowd. They all yell, clobber in time. Uh, he goes to some weird guy in the crowd, and he's like, I'm sorry if you're listening, weird guy in the crowd. You're not weird. You're just a guy in the crowd. Uh, they go to some guy in the crowd. He just says, Punk's like, whose city is this? And uh, he's like, Chicago, Chicago. That's the only thing he can say. Why didn't he say something for CM Punk? Cut a little promo, man. <laughs> they put you on camera. We need you to react. But he was just so heated. I mean, this guy was probably on cloud nine. <laughs> Seeing Punk return and being there live for the moment. Uh, unbelievable pop. Uh, he goes into the crowd, almost jumps into the crowd like he did in AEW that, tr- that time. Uh, but he thought better of it. And in the end, he stands atop the ramp the whole time raises his arm no angle or anything like that he just comes out at the end and i think some people didn't like this i actually think this is literally how they handled this debut to me was basically perfect in some ways like based on what they wanted to accomplish i think it was perfect (laughs) it wasn't the most interesting but they save it they're gonna have his debut thing on raw which will probably be – they're probably going to do a huge rating for, for it as well uh, now that he's back. You save everything, and the leaked video online of Seth added so much heat. Like it would have been so – it meant so much more that they did it how they did it rather than if they had done it on screen. They cut to the ring, and he was pissed or fuming or whatever. I think this was way, way better, <laughs> and you got the nuclear reaction. And I thought it was a well-done debut that worked for him – it overshadows Orton's debut, uh, but really, Orton's never been a di- that much of a difference maker anyway in terms of ratings or anything like that. I think it, it's a, a nice return for him, but nothing wrong with that or anything. 
But I think you make the sacrifice because in hindsight, all things considered, if you're going to bring him back, regardless of whether we like him or want him to come back, which is a totally different question. But if you are going to bring this man back, the it would be stupid to do it anywhere other than a pay-per-view in Chicago. Like, that's the only appropriate place for it to debut. So, of course, they did it here, and it worked out for them for one night. In the grand scheme of things, that's a totally different question, I, I would argue. Um, so, yeah, obviously, if anybody's listened to this show in the past, <laughs> even when he was in AEW, I think you'll know very easily that we're not CM Punk fans. Neither one of us are, I would say. I think for the debut, it was more or less worth it. But what did you think uh, of this debut? What do you think of the implications of it? Where do they go with him going forward? Because they're at this really weird spot anyway in a lot of their stories. Where will they go with this man, this volatile man uh, that they have here? Um, What was that show Renee hosted on like Fox or whatever? Oh, WWE Backstage. Backstage, when Punk debuted on there, quote unquote, he changed the culture. It felt like that. It just like I've seen this movie before. You know, that's the best way I can sum this up. Like I saw him return in Chicago earlier this year already because I watched. (laughs) That's true. That happened already. Because last night, the 24th, meaning like what? So it's been around here. Here's me trying to do math again. Let's see here. Um, So six months collision has been around for. Right. Yeah. And CM Punk just debuted for the company the night that the show that was essentially created for him aired its 24th episode. Like, that's fucking ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I can't believe this loser failed upwards. Like, congrats, Phil. Um, you know, all like this is this is almost more glaring of like a Cody Rhodes thing or whatever, just because Cody Rhodes left AEW, not on bad terms. He wasn't fired. He took a different opportunity, right? Punk got fired. And the whole time he was saying, I love AEW. I'm the difference. Like, you know, uh, you know, I just returned to pro wrestling. So what's, what's the fucking, what's the first promo here for the first time in 10 years, CM Punk finally returns to sports entertainment. Like, Anything you can and say, or what was it? Anything you can or say will and can be used against you in uh, professional wrestling court, I guess. Like, this dude's full of shit. He really is just so full of shit. And um, I can't wait until he wrestles on a Saudi show um, because he's full of shit. And then, like, hmm. I don't know, dude. I just... I've never felt so little watching such a big reaction. Um, I, cause you texted me and then I had a few other friends text me, Holy shit. What the fuck? Blah, blah, blah. So then I went back and watched because I had left before like the little bottom right logo thing came up and I was like, okay, whatever. This was a bad finish. I'm done. Um, and then they debuted him and it, like you said, I mean, how else do you debut him? And it's like, it didn't even felt, it didn't even feel like he was part of the show it felt it like really he didn't. was no, like it literally just felt like a CM Punk return in Chicago is like a thing now, right? Because we got it twice already in the past two years. And like I don't it doesn't feel authentic anymore. 
it doesn't feel real anymore. It doesn't make me feel anything anymore. And when he came out, it felt like it re- like it really just felt like a, a an artificial punctuation on like, hey, we're the big company, right? Or whatever. Like, I don't know. It was just like you know, if I didn't watch WWE or AEW and I'm a WWE fan, I'm probably through the roof right now, right? But I, and it's not even like I'm an AEW fan or a WWE fan. I was a CM Punk fan, and this dude fucking sucks. And my funniest, like the the only other thing I really have to say because, God, Dylan, we celebrated, we celebrated on this show when he was gone because we didn't we have did. to offer any more of our energy to before the show came on. We played Don the Witch is dead. We did our dance. Um, and now he's back. And I thought the funniest piece of bullshit that I heard the whole night was on the press conference when one of the, uh, journalists asked, you know, triple H, uh, you know, what do you think of CM Punk coming back? Obviously elephant in the room or whatever. And he says, you know, and it's classic WWE shit, right. To ignore what's happened outside. And Cody and Hunter both gave both very different uh, responses. Yeah. And I want to touch on Cody's too and see what you think. But, um, yeah, hold on. Like, let's, let's talk about the press conference on its own. Uh, real, okay, we, okay. I have some notes on that. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about everybody there. Uh, one thing I'll say, I think I have a little different experience with punk than a lot of people because basically from the minute the pipe bomb promo happened, from, for a lot of people, I know how much everyone loved it. I know how important it was to everybody. And I've eaten a lot of shit over the years for having the opinion that I do, especially back then. Maybe not as much now. <laughs> but I always thought he was full of shit. Like from the moment that Pipe Bomb promo hit, it really had no emotional investment in me because he's a wrestler to me. Like that's how I always saw him. <laughs> I never really built – like the thing is what he did was – the story of CM Punk that made him so famous to so many people, like his biggest moment of his entire life, he went on stage, sat down, and lied to everybody for 10 minutes. And everyone believed it because he's such a good liar. And that basically gave him a whole career and so many opportunities afterwards that never would have happened if they didn't have that moment. But because he did such a good job, people thought it was real, which in a lot of ways – to his credit, that's what pro wrestling really is at its core, is making you believe something that isn't real, which he was successful at. I can't deny that. But the fact is, I never once believed in him, so I never had any kind of emotional reaction to his return, other than I kind of hated him because his fans were so over the top about him for so many years uh, that I, I kind of didn't like him because of that reason. And I always thought he wasn't that great of a wrestler, period, in the first place. <laughs> but – um. I never have any emotional reaction to him being a hypocrite. Like to me, actually, if you, in my opinion, him returning to the WWE totally fits his MO through his career, in my opinion, because ultimately he came to AEW to stick it to WWE. He finally found an avenue that was legitimate and that he could try to make WWE's life harder than it ever was when he was gone <laughs> through AEW. Obviously, there were a lot of problems that came about through that, and that wasn't able to come true or happen. So now the reason he came to WWE is to stick it to AEW and make them look worse, which from a perception standpoint, again, my personal opinion is, like you said, you could go back to the archives and listen. We were (laughs) celebrating him leaving, but 
in the perception of the overall scheme of wrestling fandom, clearly AEW took a big hit tonight with him coming in there. Uh, you know, and it's a shame in a lot of ways that we couldn't have him be more of what everybody thought he was. But for me personally, I never felt he was like that ever. So what do you think about the idea before we get into the press conference? There's something I wanted to ask you. Do you think maybe this was uh, this return was something that maybe wasn't, uh, you know, as planned out? They didn't know that. Do you think that a. The did AEW announcing Will Ospreay signing with AEW is basically a middle finger to WWE how they did it. He's not going to be there for months now. They just did it for that reason, pretty much. Do you think that made them expedite this process and get Punk in faster? Or do you think that AEW knew about Punk coming in and they rushed Osprey's announcement for that reason to try to get the jump on them by saying, hey, we're signing this major free agent and we get our win over WWE now? Honestly, I have no clue. Sorry for horse slipping there. Um, <laughs> hey, we're all about um, it. You are allowed to I'm horse just, slip all over. I am CM Punk is just big old yeah. horse lips to me. Um, like, here's the thing, though. Will Ospreay is a wrestler who has worked his ass off and has secured a seven-figure deal, right, from either company. Good on AEW for providing a literal life plan for him, which is to say he can continue to work with New Japan. He can still live in England with his family, right? All these things. Cool. William Ospreay still got why am I calling William now? <laughs> Seven Sir figure William deal. <laughs> and he got he got the things that he wanted, right? The difference is that literally Tony Khan bent hand over fist, and that's his own fucking fault now, right? For this guy. He created a TV show essentially for yeah. this guy to come back. And then he's gonna debut with the other company the same night that that TV show airs. That's fucking gross to me. It's not like a Hey, we got him. It's like, hey, there's numerous wrestlers who are literally working their ass off on this other show that's on right now. And it's suffering because this prick is literally a man baby with massive narcissism issues. And he, you know, very much hurt actual people's livings and, you know, fucked up a co- like a company and new, like careers and stuff. Like we still haven't seen Jungle Boy <laughs> since, since the last time. Yeah. And it's it's just such like, you know, there's there's very ugly people in every industry. And I think like and I'll call them bastards. I'll say there's bastards yeah. in every industry. And I think that CM Punk last night successfully became a true bastard of pro wrestling and a lot of people will argue you know like (laughs) i saw this thing dylan hold on pause wrestle update pause for the hood foot fact of the week so i saw (laughs) um greg popovich right was talking about um god damn it who was it uh uh wimby no it was during the game and they were booing him i think it was um they're booing this guy on the other team, Kawhi. What is his name? Oh, Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. And Greg Popovich grabs the mic and he's like, can everyone here please stop booing Kawhi? We're all adults. Let's try to be more respectful. And it drops the mic and the people just start booing 10 <laughs> times <laughs> louder. And Hoodfoot goes, 
Yep, this is straight out of the Tracy Smothers playbook. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, and that's, that's why like I, Tracy. I love it. And that's why I say the the whole um, you know, Tracy Smothers is a good bastard in pro wrestling, right? But there are bad bastards. There are your Vince McMahons, there are your Fritz von Erichs, your CM Punks, just true bastards of the industry that I think that to me there's nothing that's that they do that says that they love this art, right? That they love this yeah. sport. And it's fucking disgusting. And it's one of those things where I don't know, I'm just really happy at least he's not on AEW. And you know, I really hope um oh, sorry. So this is uh I think, you know what, I already tangented too much. Sorry, I, w- I was going to go back to the Triple H press conference thing now, but I remember we're going to talk yeah, about that uh, separately. One, one more thing on that. Um, you know, I personally think that he will play by the rules in WWE. Like, I don't think this is going to be a redo of his AEW run. And the reason why is I really think, like you said, Tony Khan bent over backwards for Punk. But in a lot of ways, he also enabled a lot of his behavior, in all honesty. After the brawl out, that should have been the end of it. Like that He should have either fired him on the spot or gotten everybody together and made money out of that thing and made them do it if they don't want to or they will be fired. If, if he had the balls to do it and stand up to him, then none of this would have happened how it did this past year. But the problem is, is that Tony Khan, I think, truly loved Punk a lot as a fan and really thought he was the best in the world. Like in all honesty, like all of his actions support that statement. So he gave punk so much rope that he shouldn't have punk shouldn't have been allowed to do the things that he did over the past years in WWE. That's not going to happen. They don't worship punk and will let him get away with everything. They know that if he fucks up, then he's going to get his ass fired. And yeah, they don't need him. They're not in that situation, right? Where it's like yeah. a literal television program is yeah. hanging on this guy's back. And I think that that's what's kind of gross about it, right? Yeah. Is you can almost see like how Punk is just like he is literally corralled by money. Like that is what yeah. has done this, right? His his tune has changed and all of a sudden and he's smiling again in Chicago. And it's just like – Nothing has changed about this man other than who is paying him now and who pays him dictates how he will act. And it's pretty it almost sounds like he's it's, not a human to me. It sounds like he's a subhuman greedy bastard. So the ultimate you, the ultimate capitalist yeah. uh, <laughs> Phil Brooks there. But the thing is, if they fire him. They're really not going to get any blowback, in my opinion, when you think about it. It's not that risky of a move just for the fact that whatever he may whatever sway he may have with the networks like you said with with uh, AEW that probably that show probably hung on his back but who's to say that won't help another network with Raw you've still got the Raw negotiations coming up yep uh and he's probably going to help that uh with whatever sway he has i bet you they had a camera on his ass all day leading up to this show uh, <laughs> they are going to do a documentary on peacock and the craziest thing the most damning thing about tony khan as an owner and aew as a whole wwe 
is going to be the ones to monetize Brawl Out, not AEW. When CM Punk goes off on, on this documentary and they draw from that and actually get people interested to see what this asshole has to say on there, which is amazing when you think about it. Uh, a huge bag fumble there, uh, not to get there. But the thing is, as a fan, I'm not that interested in any match. I'll ask you one more thing before we get the press conference. Mm-hmm. What did you make of the Seth video, as well as the Drew McIntyre video of him walking out? Uh, Seth going crazy, giving him middle fingers, two middle fingers. Michael Cole trying to hold him. Sami Zayn talking to him. Uh, Mama was enthralled by this. She watched this like five times overnight. Uh, seeing Seth go crazy on CM Punk. Because when he came out, Ken was so pissed. And Ken's actually, they're both. Uh, Mama was born in Chicago, technically. And Ken is from Chicago as well. Uh, he got out and he just yelled "fuck" as long as loud as he could, <laughs> because the whole time when I was telling him about these rumors that Punk was coming in, uh, there's this really annoying guy on Twitter that I saw. He's always pre- I, I don't even know his name, but I always see him come up, and he's ta- always talking about how great CM Punk is and Roman Reigns is, and he was he he said Punk was going to debut on the show, and Ken said they'll never let Punk back into WWE. Like, he's not a star. Fuck him. Uh, Mama was pissed, and he, she doesn't even know him that well, but she just knows he sucks, and we hate him so much. So uh, Ken was so pissed when he came in. Uh, I thought it was going to be like World Cup when the USA lost, and he started throwing stuff around, and I and I had to calm him down a little bit. I was like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> like, Punk isn't the whole show. It'll be all right uh, at the end. Um, but I'm just not that interested in any match he has overall. From the looks of it to me, well, what, what did you think? Did you think it was a work or a shoot or, or what did you think? Was it interesting at all <laughs> with Seth's video on uh, Punk? Are you muted? I am muted. Thank you. Ah, Sorry. Yeah. Um, I was talking that whole time. Yeah, the thing that got me with Seth was the second Punk return. All I could think of was how I'd always quote Seth. Ha, Phil, Philly, Phil, stay away, stay far away, you cancer. Um, do I think Seth Rollins would literally lose his shit on like the stage and Michael Cole could hold him back? Who knows, man? Who fucking it was, knows? It was pretty. That was like the best thing Seth ever did in his career, though. It was the yeah. most realistic thing that he's ever done. So here's here's the thing. This is the way I'm going to approach it. It's pro wrestling, right? Yeah. So the truth doesn't really fucking matter. So exactly. I'm just going to say what's more exciting. I'm going to say that I believe Seth hates CM Punk, and I think that Drew is going to leave WWE and restart Evolve with Gabe. Interesting. One of those might be a little more real than the others, but you know, you got to <laughs> well, shoot for the stars. I, I think a lot of people backstage hate his act, though. Like, they do not like CM Punk at all back, and back in that locker room. And maybe it will cause a lot of problems. Just him showing up is probably going to put a lot of people uh, not in a very good spot because he's had problems with Seth, problem with AJ Styles, problem with Roman Reigns, problem with Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens. It's a who's who of people he's pissed off at some point over his career. (laughs) Those people are not happy. Everywhere this guy goes, it's like fucking Scott Pilgrim, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Like. Somebody's been watching a Netflix series. Oh, my God. It, Yeah, I mean, and so in the press 
conference, right? I mean, Hunter brings him up first, and he says, uh, "What was it?" He kind of ignored the AEW shit, right? He said, "Phil," Br- he said, "CM Punk was a." T- uh, he goes, "We were both different men ten years ago, and you know, and if we're and if we were still that same guy now, well, that would be an issue, wouldn't it?" And I was like, "But dog, he is. That's literally why he's here, is because he's that same guy, if not worse." Like. It hasn't changed at all. <laughs> no, and that that was the thing that felt so glaring to me. And then, like, Cody came out, and then the first thing he did was make a – sorry, do you want to go through this person by person? I'm jumping through. Uh, yeah, I'll just bring up a couple of things from the press conference. So Triple H started off – yeah, he wanted to talk about Orton first. He actually brought up Orton before um, CM Punk. I thought it was funny that the questions at this press conference – might have been a little better than the AEW press conference questions, as crazy as that is. And I remember uh, the last big show they did, the report came out that he had actually been surprised. He was like, huh, I thought they were going to ask me about Punk. He had an answer planned, but just nobody asked him because the reporters were so shitty, (laughs) pretty much. But this time, they actually asked some pretty decent questions in between. Uh, So he's talked about Orton at first, and he talked about Punk. Like you said, they're different. The company's different. Uh, everyone's glad to have Punk back home. That's not true <laughs> overall. Uh, and he was basically said – I thought it was interesting how he said that it was really him and Nick Khan that were the ones that organized all this. Vince didn't have anything to do with it. Nobody really knew that much. They told him right before the main event, he said. Uh, then somebody – I don't know who this was. Uh, they were talking about – they asked him about Joshi wrestling for, for some reason, which I was like, what the f- – like, when that happened. And to me, this felt like kind of a roundabout way to try to get him to talk about Julia, uh, which he dodged <laughs> pretty much. And he was like, I didn't even know what Joshi was until a few years ago <laughs> uh, there. Uh, then I thought he was kind of hilarious talking about Jade Cargill. <laughs> Somebody asked about her too. And he's basically like, she's not ready right now, guys. Uh, and he was like, wherever she was trained, didn't do a very good job. So, Which was such a stupid ass thing because the reason that her? you signed yeah. her is because of what they did with her, you dipshit. Like, <laughs> it's like I hate these fucking little like soft jobs. Even when Tony does it too, because it's like, God, can we just talk about the performers like I, I, in, a, in a meaningful way? Sorry. No, I mean you. I what he said was probably accurate though. While watching her wrestle, like I believe it, but yeah, obviously it was petty for him to say it that way to take a sideswipe at Jacksonville like that. And then he went on and on about uh, somebody asked about Moxley, like you said, he kind of dodged the AEW stuff, but he was trying to be like, oh yeah, our uh, wellness policy is better than any real sports, and it was kind of silly, like when you think about it, because obviously if you're an NFL player. You know, you're probably getting tested uh, pretty regularly and probably a lot more than WWE. But from there, you had, uh, I think it was Charlotte and Becky up next. Uh, and I kind of tuned out at this point. Uh, they basically just asked them about going for the tag titles. And they were like, no, nah, we're not a team yet. Uh, we're courting each other. And uh, that probably means a lot of, like, fan fiction writers are just going crazy with Slash Fix right now once they get a hold of that. Um, they had uh, Gunther was there uh, and again I didn't really hear anything he said other than just like like you said he was very annoyed when somebody said Miz should be in the ring with you 
Uh, and then they got to Cody here. This is what you want to talk about. So let's talk about what Cody had to say when he started off. Yeah. And um, oh, I, I did like there was one moment in Becky and Charlotte too, where Becky teared up talking about how like, oh, yeah, the the biggest moments of her career have all been shared with Charlotte. Um, so that was pretty sweet to, to see the realness come through. But yeah. So and again, this I don't this is the, the, the pro wrestling shit, right? It's coded. Am I reading into it? But. Cody comes out and he the first thing he does is like pretend to be an EVP and like all I could think was target managers and like he's like and other people were like no why would it be about that but I'm like that's the only link I could make is like he basically came out and was like oops I was like the old EVP and me basically saying like you know I worked with those guys too and you called them fucking idiots or whatever. But again, am I just reading too into it? What What do you think? Oh, and th- real quick, sorry. But they asked Cody too what he thought about Punk coming in. Yeah, they asked him directly. I was, I was, I was, and his his answer was very like veiled in a way as well, where he yeah. said, "Like, do you have the exact language or no?" No, he basically said something like, "Yeah, he's coming in. If he can help where WWE is going." Uh, that he looks hungry and he's going to be here. So it's something like that. Yeah, and exactly. if, if he shares our vision of where we're uh, going yeah, yeah. and he wants to help us get there, then then he said, then like, yeah, let him on board. But it sounded <laughs> very failed and guarded. And to me, yeah. it, I don't know, the whole thing seemed like, fuck you. But <laughs> and maybe that's just me reading too into it. But No, but I, I do think that they're – listen – we don't know. There's nothing that's ever been said about why he left AEW. But the fact is, basically, when Punk came in, he left. <laughs> like the, That's all we know. Again, that may have nothing to do with Punk, for all we know. But I'm just saying that that's how it played out. Uh, the timing was very you know, suspicious, so to speak. Um, when Cody talks to me, he's like an expert politician, almost, because he, de- he didn't actually say that much. But he actually said a lot at the same time, uh, pretty much. Uh, and he even said, uh, basically, uh, if you ask anybody about him, whether it's a good or bad response, it's all about business. Uh, Cody said about Punk as well uh, on there. So I thought that was interesting. Um, do you have anything else you want to talk about, Cody? No, that was it. I, I mean, it was nice to I, hear him I, talk about the taking it in, like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, fight in my dad's match. Um, Cody's very job. endearing. It's always funny to see the fucking neck tattoo. Um, oh yeah, but yeah. True. That that was that's pretty much it for me. Yeah, he was emotional. They talked about his uh, father-in-law being in the hospital. They mentioned that on commentary during the show too. Uh, that he kind of did it for him as well, not just Dusty, but his father-in-law. Um, and like I said, he, he's a really professional guy. Like everything he said, he's got plausible deniability pretty much. If punk did get heated, it's not like hangman page where you, you know, you say something that he gets pissed off about it. If punk came to Cody, he could basically deny he meant anything bad by it. It was like, no, I, I, I didn't mean anything bad by it. I was just talking, you know, just hanging around. No problem. Just joking. <laughs> like, uh, you know, he gave himself plausible deniability. Whereas Triple H is a little bit more like unguarded almost. Um, but they're all right. Uh, the press conference was fine. Uh, I thought Triple H was really funny talking about Jade, uh, but it was like an, an unnecessary petty sideswipe for sure. 
do you think that okay and i'll ask you two, two more questions again uh do you think first off a what do you think cm punk's promo on raw is going to be about does he talk about seth does he talk about aew like where he's been the last few years does he talk about his leaving how things left with wwe what does he talk about when he comes back do you think like the difference between shit talking like there is a difference right when someone goes to aew and you shit talk at wwe what you're typically talking about is like wwe the corporate institute like entity right vince mcmahon the way that they have historically and methodically you know like suppressed certain people getting pushed he's done all this shit right um like for punk punk was not mistreated at aew again and like you even talked about how triple h wanted to talk about orton at first like randy orton returned to the ring for the first time in almost two years after recovering from double fusion back surgery that's incredible that is a feat cm punk got fired because he's a fucking baby and Jack Perry made fun of him in Wembley. Like there's the owner such, of the company. <laughs> yeah, it's such different levels. Like it's being celebrated as like this return, but it's like if if the tables were flipped, this would be seen as a demotion, right? And it's True. only because he went to WWE. I mean, if he had gotten fired from WWE, he showed up in NWA. Fucking people wouldn't be celebrating like this. Um, he went here because they would take him. And like, I, I don't, ah, dude, it's just, well, he wouldn't have gone to NWA because he doesn't like wrestling. He likes money. <laughs> that's <laughs> true. Um, <laughs> but that, that's why I'm saying like for him to criticize AEW, it's one of those things where I'm like, I feel like that would just look really bad on him because again, you have like Sammy and Kevin and Cody there who I think of, right. Where it's like, yeah. well, Hey, those are all of our best friends. And also like Claudio's there. And so we're like, so many people that literally came from here. So why are you going to talk shit about that company? Cause it, again, it's, it wasn't the company that did anything to punk. It yeah. wasn't, you know, it, but it's his like, fa- that's that the fans don't believe that like all of punk's cult like fans, they all think that he was screwed over by the young bucks who spread rumors about him. And Adam page went to business for himself. That's how they treat that. Even if it's not real. Yeah, that's wild. Well, yeah, because we we don't think that way, but his fans <laughs> have spun it around to where he was a victim of everything. No, that's and that's true. That's true. And well, I guess it's it's. I I guess I'm looking at it purely through the lens then of the actual other wrestlers. Is it yeah. a good look for Punk, who's just gotten fired from this promotion, to come in talk shit about them? Because for me, I'm like, you're just like hurting their jobs, you know. Like, I think there will be something in that promo about AEW somehow. Oh, I, oh ab- absolutely. Yeah. He's going to talk shit. Dude, you know what was hilarious? Nick Hausman didn't catch this scoop. Yeah. You know, he, he was at the fucking thing, too, dude. Yeah, that was, uh, that was hilarious. Yeah. And uh, and Cody, Cody said that to him as well, right? When Cody sat down, he said, like, oh, you consider you fancy yourself a journalist? And he said yeah. that to Nick Hausman. <laughs> So, dude, Cody yeah, was I, in a joking mood at his press conference, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, dude, he's he's called himself an EVP and then quoted Punk from that press conference. I don't know. Do you uh, think he was drunk again, like the one with Jay after SummerSlam? Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> Live, Cody. I, de- I definitely think that 
somehow Punk is going to make some kind of reference to a hangman. or they, he, It might not be a direct shot like, fuck Hangman Page or something like that. Yeah, no, you know what CM Punk's promo is going to be? He's going to come down and he's just going to have like a receipt. He's going to be like, I just want to show for the record here that Adam Page has only sold two dolls <laughs> at the local Rally North Carolina wall. And people are just going to start booing. And he's be like, oh, fuck you, too. Fuck, you don't get this. This guy shot at me, dude. He slapped me in my chest hard. Yeah, yeah or he'll be like, oh, real glass. <laughs> if I look, look at the camera, knock at it on there or something like that. That's the thing, dude. And, like, they have, like, it's crazy because AEW, this diamond, right? Yeah. And it turned out to just fucking burn them from injuries to fucking behavioral issues to all sorts of shit. WWE is getting him like post rehabilitation <laughs> like after all this shit and it's like if he gets injured cool the show doesn't rely on him right yeah it's not like before where he's the world champion if he is a dickhead again cool we already have a completely established top main event scene you know and it's like he left such a hole in AEW, and i think they patched it up pretty quickly the problem yeah. is that they made him too much of a focal point and it's it's going to be interesting to see how WWE handles that. But also, WWE are – now that I say that, like, WWE are experts at doing that. I mean, they just fucking – what they yeah. fired Mustafa Ali the day before his defense and then made a career moment for Trick Williams. Like, yeah, yeah. They, don't, they don't give a shit about that stuff because they don't care about the fans the same way that it seems like, historically speaking, right? Yeah, no, Triple H at the press conference – he did say that he's like, we don't want to be against the fans. Anymore. Exactly. That's yeah. That's why I said historically, because he was yeah. like, if the fans want it, we'll give it to him. Right. So and I think that. Or sorry, but yes, yeah, that yeah. is that that's pretty much all of it on, on the punk thing. Fuck CM and, Punk. Man. <laughs> and Meltzer did say that he thinks that Seth, that stuff was all the work. Uh, he did say the Drew thing might have been real. But nobody knows if it's specifically about CM Punk or he's pissed about something else uh, overall. When you think about it, though, if you're trying to angle for a new contract uh, and you're maybe you're not getting offered as much as you want, and then you see about $5 million walk out on stage to do nothing, <laughs> I can see why that might rub me a, kind of a wrong way. After you kind of carried the company for a few years, and, uh, yeah, I can see why Drew might not be too happy <laughs> about that. But my last question on this. And we will get out of here after this. We don't have to talk about him anymore, at least for now. Uh, maybe for another two months, hopefully. Do you think AEW will respond to this in some way on their TV? Do you think they'll have something in mind now that he's come back? Because you could easily spin this against CM Punk to make him look bad if you so want to. I mean – it's one of those things where I don't even think you have to spin it. Like, I think you can just see, like, because, again, it wasn't, and, and you know, like you said, the other side will see it differently, but he wasn't being held back or anything. Like, it's just, it's wild. And in terms of AEW responding, I, I guess we'll know whether by whether or not Yoshihashi opens the show on Wednesday. If Yoshihashi opens the <laughs> show on Wednesday go. with a promo, yeah. then WWE is closing by the end of this year, full stop. If he doesn't, the war continues. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's but, over. I mean, that, 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 it all hinges on, on that. I, I uh, dude, the only thing I could think of, like, unless uh, the only statement that's more like not a literal, like, 
oh, CM Punk's back. I feel like the only play that AEW could do is to debut a Sasha or a Mercedes, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's because if if you're doing it in terms of we debut Will, they debut Punk. Uh, what can you do back unless you're going to make some outside of Snyder marks? The only free agent that I think is on that level would be Sasha. Yeah, I agree. And we don't know if she's healthy enough yet to come back either. Because um, those those ninety days are up soon, but like. Love Ziggler, love Ali, but those aren't going to feel uh, like it it needs to feel like a coup at this point. Right. Like those are. And that's the thing is, man, if I'm Tony right now, I'm straight up like finishing. I I, I've just finished a three day bender and I just called Mercedes (laughs) Monet. I said, hey, I'm mailing you my fucking checkbook. Feel free to fill out your own contract. So yeah. we we need you here Wednesday. Like please come here, oh, and we'll you will pay you whatever. <laughs> just so, to, if nothing else, just get some positive momentum. I had seen somebody to you know <laughs> compare this on Twitter. Like last week's main event, it didn't happen that long ago. The full gear main event, it got skewered by both of us and people online. It was not popular. Uh, in any way, nor should it have been because it was an awful match. But everyone hated it uh, pretty much. There's some people that liked it. They're, they're a minority at this point, though, I think we could safely say. Um, that happened, and then CM Punk came back to WWE after a decade, grabbing all of his fan base that goes along with it. It kind of reminds you of when WCW had the finger poke of doom, and then also had Mankind winning the title and saying, oh, that'll really put butts in seats. Like a huge turning point for the war, like of WCW, WWE. Like, could this be a big turning point? I actually said that. If you listen to the Full Gear episode, I said that that match looks like it may be a turning point for the AEW fans. And now you get another blow where everything, again, we hate CM Punk, so we're not happy about his return. But if you're a fan of his then obviously you're in an overwhelmingly positive mood about WWE and, right now. And AEW and this, has no positive momentum right now, so they need to get something to get some positive momentum on their side. And it's so weird because I'm like, if you're a CM Punk fan, right, I feel like, I don't know, it's one of those things where, like, if you watch him in AEW for so long, does that transcribe back over to WWE in this new WWE? I don't know. Like, it's like... I just I don't I don't get how it translates from product to product like Cody and AEW to WWE works perfectly fine. It's still the same. But like Punk had like a ferocity like I don't think you could do this fucking MJF program in in WWE. I don't think Punk could pull off a lot of the shit and storylines he got in AEW in WWE. And that's the thing is I think like the reason we're talking about this is because WWE got another AEW guy. And Punk yeah. was an AEW guy because he got to do some of the better work of his career there. A lot of the shit he did in WWE fucking sucked. Like that's <laughs> why there was the pipe bomb, right? And yeah. then after that reign of the after his reign, it still sucked. He didn't do a lot of good stuff. Like Punk was yeah. a guy who was literally not given opportunities in WWE. That's why he left, and that's why fans left with him. He went to AEW, who was given every fucking opportunity. He burned every bridge he had there. And so his fans are going to leave with him and go back to the place that fucking made him quit pro wrestling in the first place? Sure. If that's if that's what makes sense to you, be my guest. Like, fuck. And, um, oh, God, what was I going to say? Uh, 
Oh, Cage Match and Dave Meltzer both gave uh, Jay White and MJF 4.5. <laughs> I thought that, that was so funny. That is true. Uh, no, uh, that was quite a... Um, you know, Dave, there's a lot of good things about him and his work deserves more respect I, like his haters are kind of insane and sometimes it's hard to want to criticize him i understand people are like that but i'll criticize him when he deserves it <laughs> his star ratings are not something i really follow to be honest with you as something i care about um they just are so different from anything <laughs> i would give it zero stars th- that match <laughs> which i did i went on cage and rated it zero <laughs> like uh, <laughs> that day so and, and you all can as well. Go back to Full Gear and rate that match zero. <laughs> that there, if, if you want. Um, send the bots. Send the AEW army send, bots. Who, who had the bots, though? Because who... Oh, did, wait, WWE. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did WWE have sure. the robots or did AEW have the robots? I don't know. Uh, I, might just flew, I might have just blew the lid. Oh, but... no. It was all conspiracy. Tony Khan hired bots to impersonate <laughs> WWE fans. But actually, they did a thing on Cage Match where they... <laughs> like they could notice if it's AI reviews now, so you can't even do that anymore. I don't think. Nice. Yeah, they worked Cage hard match. on. It. Yeah, exactly. Cage Rush wants the real results. You don't so, need to be a, a bot. You know that match sucked if you're a human being with a brain cell. At the end of the day. <laughs> so to pivot to Continental Classic real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And something I would like to shout out from this week that I absolutely love. This might have been my favorite thing in pro wrestling from this past week. Tony Storm's acceptance speech, I thought was brilliant. I thought that was such a fucking great bit, a coronation we've never seen. I love Mariah May in the back when Tony, what did she say? If you want to be like me, I suggest picking up a trade. (laughs) Like, dude, it was just, I loved it. I loved every moment of it. That was my favorite part of pro wrestling in america this week was yeah her acceptance speech um and the continental yeah. classic yeah see now you could go in a case to rate these matches high because they're actually pretty good so you you could you, the, rate this rate the mjf and jy to zero rate these matches in a good way I, I think you'll like them better or you don't even have to rate them just watch them it's, you'll enjoy it let's talk about them. claudio and Car- garcia uh blue league very sad that uh brian danielson injured right now overall and uh you know we didn't get to see his match instead we only had two instead of three on collision wait was he scheduled to have one i i mean it was should have been three on three right that's what i thought unless they're like waiting another week yeah i think so i think they could always have him wrestle on a dynamite or something and make it up if he misses any time but i know that they were talking about his injury so i don't think he was there uh for it unfortunately but uh, regards, okay. We still did get two good matches on here. I, I like both of them. Uh, what did you think of Claudio and Danny Garcia that you mentioned earlier as well? I liked it a lot. I gave this one three and a half. Um, again, like when you described the Gunther Miz, the the iteration you wish you could have seen, I thought you did it. You described this match perfectly. Like from the get go, Garcia just gets his ass whooped by Claudio. Claudio already feels like the benchmark in this um, in this division. Yeah. Uh, or this bracket, which I thought was really cool just from this Garcia match. Um, I liked how the spot where Garcia did Claudio's like little chest pump thing, then his dance, and then like the fuck you to supposedly daddy magic in them. Um, the spot on the outside with the running drop kick, it gave me that tingly feeling where I was like, it's G1 season, you know, and then right after he goes for it again. So Garcia 
hits the drop kick into the corner on the outside. Then he walks back, kisses a baby on the fucking head and goes for it again. And Claudio grabs him and does one of my favorite moves Claudio does, which is when he swings them into the barricades. And I do not think Garcia got his hands up for the first one. So his head just fucking nailed it. Um, Really, they go back inside the ring there. Really great reversals. I love the closing sequence with um, the European uppercut, like the the pop-up one. And then I thought that was it. Garcia kicking out got me hyped. And then he just got fucking murdered by the Ricola bomb. Um, so it's a first showing for Claudio. The dude is a beast. He feels like you're Shingo in the best of the Super Juniors. Like, how is someone going to beat him? Um and Garcia had that level of seriousness and intensity that I really, really appreciate about him. Um, like there was no gimmicks to the match. There was really no bullshit, um, no interferences. They lived up to their words. So, yeah, I like this. I thought this was a really good match. Um, like in terms of singles matches, this was better than any of the ones on Survivor Series. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I thought that they did a pretty good job. Uh like you said, Claudio was positioned as a much more dominant heel, and Garcia was an underdog character. I like that he had kind of his ace in the hole, though, where he was constantly looking for submissions to tap out Claudio. If he could just catch him, it's like a Venus flytrap. If you could just get him once, maybe you could get a win over this monster. It didn't play out that way, of course. Tons of flash planes as yeah. well. You know, yeah. and looking forward. I think that this sets it up like this match is a perfect setup for both of them facing Brody King. Cause I think it puts it as Claudio's the ultimate collision for Brody, especially after Eddie and maybe Garcia is able to get that flash pin, that flash submission on the giant. Like he was here now. Absolutely. So they worked it really well. I agree with you. I think it's about three and a half stars. I uh, give it the wreck. Three and a half is my base level for recommendations. <laughs> so I do give it the wreck. And the cage match inmates, they agreed. <laughs> I thought they gave a good rating here. 7.05. I think that's perfect on the cage match scale, zero to 10. Uh, and they did a great job for just a 10 minute match. I think they have an even better one in them if they could get to a point where they have a big match at some point. Uh, they could really tear the house down. This wasn't a great match, but I thought it was very good and very well done. And for a TV match, definitely some of the good stuff uh, that, that you want. And the main event, I also think, was very good. What did you think of uh, Eddie Kingston and Brody King? Right away, I just want to say real quick, I'm automatically uh, unhappy because he's not defending the titles. In Dude, I can't <laughs> believe we haven't talked about this yet. Yeah. Oh, my God. I bet. Even before the show, we didn't talk about this. They like you remember Cody on BTE. He, Tony Khan, and Eddie Kingston have fucked on Wrestle Update, dude. This is this is egregious. We spent two weeks trying to figure out how this could possibly work. This stipulation (laughs) that simply does not exist. Yeah, a stipulation that doesn't exist at all. But it's going to be unified at the end of the tournament. So what happens? So what happens if Eddie doesn't advance? from this block he's still vacates right yeah he just vacates like he just he's out like the titles go away and then he it's just all for the the triple crown then it it, i don't know this is really i didn't like that at all to be honest with you uh why there's so many questions it doesn't matter the match was good they wrestled good uh the fact of the matter is that he's not defending the titles in every match it'll be unified at the end of the tournament and whatever happens before that is whatever (laughs) 
it's so ugh, why did they do this so stupid uh but anyway yeah no that whole promo beforehand just made no sense like yeah and it, it, it's just the wording you know i feel like if he could have said you know the triple crown is what got me into wrestling and i believe in it so much in myself that i am going to you know put my own two titles up along with the AEW continental classic to <laughs> fucking make a triple crown because i know i'm going to be the first ever triple crown champion boom there's your story and Not the problem this is weird look, fucking like look how quick you just said that i think a big problem with this is this is something that really got thrown together like so fast. They probably didn't even know who all was going to be in it. It didn't get announced until we talked about it on the last show we did about the continental classic. Uh, that was the big problem. We liked the first night and we liked the second night. We liked this match too, both of them at the shows as well, but it I, was such poor buildup that you didn't have time to, to do all this stuff and build up and, and be smart about it. It was all just such sloppy shop. Maybe this. Maybe they heard about Punk and that they threw together this tournament to counter it, and they didn't think about it as much as they should have. It's all CM Punk's fault, one way or the other. <laughs> no, I mean, like, dude, we spent the like this past Wednesday previewing the entire thing, based like the whole our whole preview was pretty much centered around this Eddie Kingston match yeah. dip. Yeah, like, we both said he would go to the final in our in our yeah, predictions because we couldn't figure out any other way. So who the fuck knows now? See, still, uh. this is exactly what I said. They always find a way to break my bracket. Um, I'm about to become a CM Punk and WWE fan again because of this shit. But I thought this match was great. The ending was crazy. They really made Brody look like a beast, dude. Yeah. Um, my only complaint and. This is maybe a minor one, but would be like Eddie just sold way too much from the get go. Like Brody was like whooping his ass and like Eddie's selling, but he's like falling out of the ring and can't get up already. And it's like, all right, dog, this is the first 30 seconds of an almost 20 minute match. And it felt like he was kind of already act three selling. Um, but the whole final stretch, all of those, uh, the spinning back fists, the fucking um, God, the. Ken, just Eddie's whole string of signature yeah, the, maneuvers. The big suplex. Yep. And then that final Gonzo bomb just looked so dirty. What does he call it? The Dante's Peak or whatever? Uh, Dante's Inferno. Dante's Inferno. Dante's Peak, the fucking Pierce Brosnan movie. <laughs> the, the, that would be a really – that would be a much worse finish. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That looked dirty. I thought I was very surprised Brody won, but good for him. I think that that this is probably our first upset. And I think that's why I think that was the thing that was missing from the first show. I really wish they had had Roosh beat Jay White on the first show or even Mark beat Moxley. Not for any reason for them. I mean, I like them both and I would love to see them get pushed. Don't get me wrong. But more Importantly, I think that you want to have an upset to set the stage that, hey, much like the G1, they're trying to make this. It really isn't yet, but they want to make it feel that way. In the G1, you could get a major upset, especially on the first night that sets the tone. And I think this match was that match for the first, uh, you know, first round on both sides. Uh, like you said, Brody King, man, what a great finisher. He, he hits it big every time. But on Kingston, he's a bigger guy. You know, when he hit it on Darby, it looked amazing. But now you hit it on a big guy, a bigger guy at Eddie. And I thought it looked so cool. I'm telling you, man, when we get to the year-end awards, we're going to have a move of the year award category. 
this is a good pick for me. This Dante's Inferno. Uh, great <laughs> finisher. Uh, these guys were just beasts here. I do agree with a little bit, but that's kind of all of Eddie, and that's kind of a little bit of an issue I have with him, is that sometimes he's, like, too passionate almost, like, to where it doesn't – like you said, that selling, it wasn't very realistic or, or earned, whereas if he had done it later in the match, it would have been a lot better, I yes. think. Um, but still, though, they worked their way to having a hard-hitting, badass match, which ultimately logic came second to just them having hot action, which I think is really cool. Uh, and Brody getting the win definitely peaked it for me. Uh, may, not Dante's peaked it, but still it peaked the match as my favorite of the first round that we had so far, or the first night for each man, except for Brian. I thought this was the best match of the first round. Uh, I'd give it three and three quarters. Yeah, I'd probably do the same. I'd say my other, probably right underneath this would be like three and a half brisk go. Yeah, I and, think that uh, was Moxley, probably my second. Yeah. yeah, that was my second favorite. And I think that uh, Claudio and Garcia might be my third. Um, but I, I thought they were all good, though. Like, honestly, I liked all the matches well enough. Even the Rush and White match, I saw some negative comments on. I thought it would have been better if Rush had won the way they worked the match. <laughs> but still, I thought it was okay, uh, pretty good. And everything else, I would say, is pretty actively good. Like, all of these matches are kind of like three-and-a-half-star level to me. <laughs> like, even Swerve and Lethal, there wasn't a lot mm-hmm. to hang on to narrative-wise. But for th- it was more like a three-and-a-quarter, maybe. But it was right up there. If you gave it three-and-a-half, I wouldn't argue with you. I think all of the matches are on a similar lane right now. But this was the best of the bunch, in my opinion. So I was very happy that we took the time to watch it and talk about it on this show. I'm glad we're covering the tournament because we like it uh, on there. Yeah. I think we might be the two most positive people on the tournament, even despite the the uh, questionable buildup, which I definitely called out and still have problems with. Uh, if they, I think next year's tournament – it's probably going to be really great. Like if we can get to that point, they bring it back again next year. I think they'll be much more prepared and they'll have everything set up perfectly. So right now, this is almost the demo level of, you know, pretty much of this, you know, it's kind of like a band makes a song. They make the demo version. I think that's what this is for the continental classic. It's a demo version of a great song that we have here. And uh, I still enjoy it for what it is, even though I think next year is going to be cleaned up and polished a lot better, but I still like it. I'm still into it. And Hey, now with this uh, unexpected rule uh, coming in and that confused, it's not just us. I saw a lot of people say the same thing too. At the end of the day, Uh, now that we've got this rule with Kingston finally figured out, it opens the door. Like what's going to happen now? They could set up a, a couple of different finishers, uh, people that make the finals, rather. And and someone like Brody King, it looks like he might be about to gain something from this tournament, which is very important. I, that's something I think they really need to work on. And so far, so good. I like what we saw. Yep. You want to – so preview for this week's, you want to yeah. just do some predictions for who you think will win? Let's do it. All right. So Dynamite Wednesday, we've got Gold League. Swerve versus Jay White. Who you got? Well, I swerve when I drive. I think it's got to right. be Swerve. I'm going to go with Swerve, too. And my big fear now is that Jay White's going to win this. Um, the whole, <laughs> the whole fucking tournament. That's something I'm always afraid of. <laughs> right. Um, all right. Mark Briscoe versus Roosh. Ooh, this could go either way. Uh, this is interesting I, because this is yeah. a zero zero here. Yeah. And then, I'll go with Roosh. I think Mark being an underdog later on would, would be more beneficial. 
Okay. I'll go Roosh as well. And then Jay Lethal versus John Moxley. Moxley will win that. Cool. I'm going to go Jay Lethal. Do you think Lethal's getting the upset? I'm just going to say Jay Lethal, just, just so we have one difference here. <laughs> you um, think Double J? Well, no, they <laughs> said no interference, so he's going to have to win. He's going to have to hit the Lethal ejection on well, Moxley. This will be interesting, though. I, I, You know, just on this second show, from a, from a tournament standpoint, we're going to have a matchup that decides a first-time loss in the tournament, a first-time win in the tournament, and then also pretty much whether or not this could be a potential tournament elimination for Lethal, essentially, as well. So I yeah. think that there, there already is that cool little um, thing there. And I don't know. I, I'm excited a lot by the first two matches. I can't really call either, so I'm excited. Yeah, totally. I know Jay Lethal's winning. So. I mean, yes, it's obvious. <laughs> uh, pretty much. A very, very legit uh, prediction there on your part. But I agree. I think the first two matches, either way, could happen. You could be right, or we could both be right, or we can both be wrong on both of them. I could easily see it going either way in both cases. Right. Collision? Um, yeah. So, all right, here. See, this is awesome. Claudio versus Brody. Because Brody beat Eddie on this show, it makes that match feel way bigger on top right. of it. So I really enjoy that. I think I'm going to go because in G1, <laughs> assuming Tony Khan has G1 Gato brain right now. For this. <laughs> this is how we start to lose, Dylan. We can't predict the bracket. They're yeah. going to bust it. There's, uh, there's always a guy who wins a lot early and then loses a lot late. And like similar to how there would be a guy that loses a lot early then wins a lot late. Something like I said with Mark where he could come back and be an underdog. I think Brody gets off to a hot start. Pulling for the upset here. I'm going with Brody King over Claudio. Okay. See, if Brody gets the win here, it feels like he is on fire in this tournament. Yeah, exactly. Eddie and Claudio back to back. Man, but. Well, what an elevation. Even if he does lose at the end, he's already gained something by being a hot starter. Right. Bro. Okay. I'll go with Brody as well. I'm going to say Brody will win this. Yeah. Yay. Next up, we've got Andrade versus Daniel Garcia. Andrade, another one, because he was scheduled for Brian. He didn't get to have his first match uh, this week. I uh, don't have to make that up. Uh, Garcia lost. I think. Did you read about or hear about? Um, Meltzer was talking about it. And he was saying how Miro, like, he was like, man, I wish Miro was in the tournament. And then the other guy was like, I think it was Alvarez. He was like, Miro doesn't want to do jobs. <laughs> this is the problem. And then he's like, they were talking about, it, like, Garcia is a good soldier. He'll do what he's told. <laughs> so I think I, maybe I'm biased with that, but I'll say Andrade gets the win to protect his ego. <laughs> like, Garcia doesn't have an ego about losing, but Andrade, he's, he's kind of nuts. So, <laughs> so I'll go with him. Yeah, okay, so this makes me think. Okay, because they just did Danielson Andrade right recently. Maybe yeah, that's why they didn't do it this past weekend, but they wanted to uh, yeah. do these other two first. Oh, that makes me think that could be a, a potential block decisive final now. Yeah, that um, would be a good idea. Yeah. Assuming because they're going to have to, I mean, I guess they could fight each other next week. But um, see, now I'm getting two in my head. I'm yeah. going to go with. <sighs> I'm going to go with Andrade. You cannot bet against the former La Sombra. 
<laughs> and then finally, and what I imagine would be the main event, Brian Danielson versus Eddie Kingston. Oh, that's a baller match right there. Uh, I think Brian is unselfish to a fault, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> and he's not going to want He's going to have too much respect for the Ring of Honor belt to go over. I, the only thing that may... I could see this match being a draw, to be honest with you. On collision... Ah. They, I think I'm going to go... I'm going with the draw here. Neither man gets to win. I think that also helps Kingston's story as kind of like an underdog okay. in and of himself. So I'm going with the draw, time limit style. Okay, I'm going to go... I'm going to switch this. I'm going to say... I'm going to say Kingston wins this. Yeah, I and think then, it's more likely Kingston wins than Brian does, though. I'm going to say that Swerve and Jay go to a draw. I could see that, actually. I could see Swerve and Jay going to a draw, not wanting to beat either of them, uh, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, so. I think that makes a lot of sense, actually. Okay. All right, folks, you heard the predictions here first. I'll stay swerve just to be different uh, uh, there. <laughs> just to, to keep up my Jay White hater. <laughs> I, I'm a generational level level hater around here, people. I'm not changing <laughs> up just because you bring logic into this. You think I give a damn about logic? I, I want Jay going down. Take the fall to the J-O-B to my man Swerve Strickland because I know he's got what it takes. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But so all the, actually, again, I liked both of these shows on week one. The shows you're naming and the the matches you're naming, I like them both a lot on top of it. I'm hyped for this next week. Yeah, me too. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to talk about it. Me too. Well, I'm so happy that we got to get Survivor Series, got our got our maybe like a little bit of a thera- therapeutical session right now, talking about our CM Punk uh, our jaded uh, tendencies that we have towards a certain chick magnet. Um, we got through all of that. We talked about some interesting things, made some interesting points, got some got emotional at times. Uh, we got a little bit of everything and had some fun talking about the Continental Classic. So really fun episode. I uh, really enjoyed doing a, a bigger one again after uh, the Continental Classic episode one. Uh, next week, we'll, we should be talking about it again, or maybe not next week, but right around that time, we will get to it. Uh, should be a lot of fun there. And uh, Nello, what do you want to say to the people? You have your time. The spotlight is all on you. Nobody can stop you. Um, oh, I have nothing this week. Absolutely nothing. Um, check out Happy Tumble Burger Farm on Steam or any of your consoles. <laughs> Yay! Isn't it cool that he makes video games? You got to give him credit uh, on there. I play video games. I don't make them, uh, but, but uh, I could play them <laughs> at least. Uh, I've been playing. Uh, I just beat uh, Disco Elysium, uh, which is an absolutely phenomenal game. If you're not if you don't need action because there's really no action in it, it's all about psychological stuff and talking. But if you're into that and you're into detective stuff, there's a million amazing moments. So if you ever want to talk about Disco Elysium, uh, one of my favorite games I started picking up, believe it or not, again, I'm dating myself. All my games I play are comfort games. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm still waiting to upgrade on PS5. I held off on the Black Friday sale. And I'm going to wait until the holiday sale. So once we get around Christmas time, I'm going to make another move to upgrade to PS5. After that, I'll, I'll play some new games. 
Yeah, because I got some stuff in mind that I want to check out and play. I uh, got to get back on my wrestling game theme with WWE 2K. Got some Fire Pro. I'm, I'm big into. I want to get back on that. Might even stream a bit on Twitch when I do that. Somebody asked me about that again. I haven't done it in a long time, uh, but I will soon. Uh, but Disco Elysium, play it anyway. I don't care. It's on PS Plus. It's free. Like you know, you don't even need to uh, get it there. But uh, yeah, and uh, I'm gonna date myself and play Skyrim a little bit later. So uh, you nice. know, we can we always have time for that in this household and on this show as well. Uh, let us know what games you're playing, how things went. Hopefully, everybody had a happy Thanksgiving. Hopefully, everybody bought themselves something nice on Black Friday. We need that Black Friday bonus. Hopefully, one day this miserable NFL season will end and I never have to watch this Panthers team play again before everyone gets released uh, on there and fired, which would very likely happen. But uh, regardless, regardless of what my sports teams are doing, I'm doing to me, the Panthers and the Grizzlies. I'm still here, and by God, we still have a lot of fun talking about wrestling, and I'm very thankful for that. So thank you, everybody who listens. Thank you, everybody who has made it to the end of the show. Thank you, WWE fans. Thank you, AEW fans. Thank you to anybody who just loves pro wrestling. And until next time, this has been your Russell Update. <laughs>